Hey, this is Bill Mosley, Otis Driftwood, and Shop Top Sawyer, and you're listening to Without Your Head. One of the great lines in Caddyshack. Well, there's about a zillion lines in Caddyshack. <laughs> right. Yeah. Although we got All to right. listen to your answer machine, which was pretty classic. Yeah. I, like I actually thought oh, it was just you at first. <laughs> and around the clubhouse, yep, they go. It. It, it took me quite a long time to figure out how to do it. I was doing, back, I was doing background um, like sound effects, but my phone was not able to sort out the different layers of noise and it just made it really messy. So I did have a crowd cheering. They're cheering as they're driving for the finish. I didn't synchronize it up to where there was a big cheer, but anyway, it's, yeah, I've had that one for a long time. I just, I go back and forth on that one. Yeah, I did. You know that one. Yeah. Yeah, I've got some that are pretty salty. From I mean, I I have some that um, w- actually one was really embarrassing um, because my mom called and heard. Oh, no. Yeah, and it was a it was actually taken from Raging Bull, and it was jo- Joe Pesci. Uh, you know, Jake had called his his brother but wasn't talking. So anyway, um, <laughs> he. Joe rips into him pretty good. You know, your mother sucks big fucking elephant fucking dick. She got that. <laughs> and everything was cool. We thought it was hilarious until mom called. Oh. <laughs> she had to, she had, she understood I'm an actor eccentric and I can do, you know, like, <laughs> but I did change it. 
that's probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, you know, it's it's kind of a one offer when you you know your mother sucks talks. No, your <laughs> your mother sucks big fucking elephant fucking dick. Right. I that's to- really putting it. That's putting an accent on the on the where it's supposed to go. I used to work with a guy that had a brain tumor and he would come up with the best ones. I, he, he had no like short-term memory, but his long-term memory was the greatest. And so he'd remember these things that he had heard, you know, 50 years so, ago. So he, so he remembered, see, I just made up, I make up most of them. Oh, see, now that's great. That's even better. If the, you the raging bull one was just we just thought because at the time I was what twenty three years old and just you know thought those <laughs> words were just the cats meow. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. So anyway, that it, it, but no, it's it's fun. I did an Academy Awards one, nice. um, you know, for like the the five nominated um, outgoing messages are, and then I played them all, <laughs> and then I had a winner. Now I just so, want to call anyway. you like once every you know month or so just to listen <laughs> to these things. You know what? You wouldn't be a fool doing that <laughs> because you, there'd be a few times where you'd go, yeah, I, you know, I'll pass on that one. But everyone, <laughs> oh, there's a humdinger. I throw in some laborious, long, you know, like Dr. Gene Scott kind of long rambling <laughs> outgoings. And that's a way to really weed people out. Oh, I bet. Because somebody really needs to get in touch with you if they're going to sit and listen to me drone on for 45 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> That's classic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so so you guys are calling me because I was in the church with Bill Mosley. You were, yeah. And that's a movie. You know, you well, you might have been in actual church too, but you were in the church. The movie. No, no, I never, I've never crossed paths with Bill in church. You know. <laughs> Uh-huh. When you don't go to that intersection very often, you're you're gonna, not going to have any accidents there. <laughs> so, uh, Bill, uh, you're also in uh, three uh, three from hell with Bill Mosley, so it's very cool. Very yes, different roles. Yes, uh, yeah. uh, I, you think? Uh, <laughs> listen, Rob. Rob is. Um, I I don't want to I don't want to tout myself. I, he always hires me in a cool spot, and he appreciates my work and. In fact, uh, oh, it's been four or five years ago. Um, he called me on the phone and he says, would you like to do a commercial? And I said, well, who the fuck would let you do a commercial, Rob? <laughs> and he goes, oh, no, no. I did a Woolite commercial last year and they were very satisfied. And it's just, we were, I'm, I, I'm at a production meeting and um, they were saying they were looking for a Clint Howard type. And I said, well, I have Clint's number in my phone. You want me to call him? <laughs> <laughs> so I, he stepped away and called me and yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I like gainful employment. Uh, and it turned out to be a great spot, funny spot. Yeah. And, uh, this, this one, um, three from hell, I play a, a clown that happens to knock on the wrong door. <laughs> I think I'm going to a birthday party for 12 year olds and I end up somewhere completely different. Mm-hmm. Because Mr. I got the Baggy I got the, I got the address juxtaposed in my you know I wrote down three sixty seven and it was seven sixty three oh and I get my I get met by Bill and and we had a couple of fun days working together uh, I didn't keep working after I finished but he did if that lets you know what the demo, what the outcome <laughs> of uh, Mr Baggy Bridges is uh huh yeah. 
Yeah, I got to see it. I was, I was, I, was, I love your scene. It's very, it's very entertaining. Oh, good. It, okay, yeah. okay. I have not seen it. I'm going to. Rob says he's going to have a screening of it around here. Am I in it for more than thirty seconds? Um, you're probably in it for I say about two minutes. Oh, really? Okay. So does does he actually show me trying to be a clown? Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's a it's a buildup of uh, you're trying to make um, uh, Otis uh, laugh because he says he'll let you go. I don't want to give too much away the movie. He'll let you go if you make him laugh, and uh, so you're you're trying to yeah. Make no, okay, okay, good. Then it's stuck. Hey, listen, that is a huge thing, and you know, an actor, the only thing they want bigger than their bank account is their ego, <laughs> and it really gets cut down a couple of sizes when you work and you end up being kind of a highlight piece in a montage. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, there, there's which, even, which that's, I was to say, there's even a Mr. Baggy Bridges uh, patch out there that you can buy. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, Mr. Baggy Bridges. He's the real deal. Um, the worst clown ever. Um, <laughs> it's hard to be funny when you got a guy pointing a sidearm at your head. I would yeah. imagine, yeah. Yeah, that's always been my mind. But I did get a laugh. I did get a laugh. <laughs> you did. You did indeed. Yeah. And you got many laughs. I'll tell. I'll tell you. I, I Bill is a wonderful guy, and he uh, seriously. I mean, I you know I now during the the build up to movies and everything, everybody hears how beautiful everybody is, but he really is a good dude, and you know he is. He's he's easygoing. He's fast. He knows that he's creative, but he also knows where he is in the, in the scheme of things. And, um, it just, listen, I, I love working for Rob too, because Rob's a no nonsense, no screw around guy. And I've seen him segue from working on film to, to, to digitally, you know, doing his work. And it's just, it's wonderful. It's, it's, I, I really, you know, a little bit like my brother, he, making that transition he's doing it with they may they may have different motives but they're doing it well yeah. you know because uh, it's not easy it's a lot yeah, different to make a movie now not a lot different to make a movie now than it used to be mm-hmm. uh, for an actor like yourself uh what are the differences or are there differences when you're just the actor well, most of it is the pace of play. Most of it is just the sheer that we have to do these seven pages in a half a day or whatever the case may be. And you're working at speeds that, I mean, I've worked at them, but it's, it doesn't make for a lot of nuance. Um, another thing that this is, is when you're doing now a film that's you know on digital going straight to digital you know it, it and i've been doing them for quite a while now like they don't they don't bother having gunfire on the set anymore because they don't it's expensive um there's got to be a safety guy that makes an announcement between each take that the gun is unloaded and you know it, it it's sort of a it slows things down when in the world of cg um, they can, um, they, they just can put in the muzzle flash and the smoke. So now in a film such as, um, three from hell or any film, I think now pretty much there is no longer blanks being shot. 
And it's a little trickier as an actor to sell that you're either in a scene where there's gunfire if you're not hearing it, or you're shooting a gun. Because there's a, there's, if, if you're not shooting any blanks at all, there's no kick. The gun doesn't have any, any percussion, you know? Um, and also you have a tendency to say bang, bang when you're shooting people. And it's, it kind of makes you feel a little lame if you're in the process of killing somebody and you know, that you hear the director go, um, Flint, could, could you, uh, could you not say bang, bang when you're <laughs> shooting? Um, and, and, you know, you just, you feel like you're, you know, eight year old playing cowboys and Indians. But yeah. uh, that there's some there's an instinct about if you're playing with a gun and it doesn't fire, you just kind of want to go bang. Right. right. And and uh, if you're supposed to be a gnarly, badass dude, they don't really do that. <laughs> no, uh, I, I would like that in a movie. But yeah, it's probably not going to fit very well. But uh, so so the church, uh, uh, you're very cool. And you got uh, kind of a monk suit on. Uh, did you get to keep the costume? kind of a monk suit i don't think do they call them monk suits i think that's a technical term i'll have to look it up yeah you know i missed that in my research um Uh no i you know what i don got a hold of me through my agent and then i called him and and asked him a few questions and you know i I was sort of interviewing him because this my work was going to be shot in philadelphia and it was you know very very small little movie, all labor of love. And, and, and I could tell Dom was, you know, I mean, not, he, he's wet behind the ears. He's a newbie. I think he's got a lot of talent, but you know, anyway, after the, after the phone call, I said to myself, you know, this guy's, this guy's cool. And I, you know, I, I checked my appointment book and uh, man, nothing was going on. So I took the job and uh, I didn't know Bill was in it and it was big fun. To, to see Bill on the set because, you know, I'd always cross paths with him when he, when he was playing, you know, three quarters on his way to hell. Um, and, and in this case he, he wasn't, and he was getting to play something that the public doesn't used to see him, you know, used to see him doing. And, uh, uh, anyway, I, I had a blast, you know, and they shot me out because a movie like this is, is so low budgeted and they're really tight and, I think I was there one or maybe two days, you know, and they, they save up all my stuff and then they shoot, 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 shoot. Okay. You know, I did not keep the monk outfit. Oh. All I kept, all I kept was the, the artwork. There was a, like a, a painting mm-hmm. that of, of me that was in the church and it was, you know, had a nice ornate frame around it. And the fact of the matter is it was just a computerized, you know, kind of, printout i kept saying did you do this dom and he said yeah but yeah he did it on a computer um but anyway i i kept that That, that's my artifact from from church and uh something that you don't ever see in movies anymore i always say this on the show you anytime a priest pops up in a movie or tv he's either satanic or he's a pervert (laughs) of some kind but there he uh bill's character is actually like a moral guy you never see that movie uh, well, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a little boring, but uh, juxtaposed to the problem that the movie was presenting, mm-hmm. it was kind of nice. Oh, that was was, good. Yeah, no, I thought, you know, and uh, my instinct was to 
make it a little more wicked. I mean, you know, listen, for years and years, that's sort of what people have been paying me for. And, and yet Dom wanted it. No, you know, sincere, straight, you know, it, it, it's, it, there's no, there's no, uh, ulterior motive or anything like that. So, you know, I got to do it and, um, it was, it was great shooting in an old church and, uh, shooting fast. Boy, oh boy, I'm glad I'm on the back end of my bit, my career. Because it just, it just seems like that everything is, you know, you barely have a chance to rehearse. And I have a little personal technique that if I don't feel like, like a shot of mine with some dialogue is going well, I will just go ahead and box the, the dialogue up. I'll just, I'll screw it up really bad. So they have to print, they have to cut it. Oh, Okay. Uh, because I know that if, if I do my line somewhat near the way they're supposed to be and it's close, they will say, oh, that's good. Moving on. <laughs> and I, so in a way, I'm sort of a, I self-edit myself. If I don't feel like it's really firing on all cylinders, I'll go ahead and just, you know, let one loose and, and you know, stop the whole shot. Yeah. And I hate to do that because, you know, I want to be a team player and everything. But, you know, it's my butt that's on the screen. Mm-hmm. If I don't feel good about it, I, you know, I, I, why am I doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, when I announced you're uh, you're coming on, a lot of people asked about uh, Ice Cream Man too. If that's something still uh, you're still trying to to get made. Well, uh, you know, saying trying to get made, mm-hmm. that would probably be a no. Um, you know, I'm not really Norman Norman Epstein, the, the director. He's good friend of mine we have talked about doing it we did a kickstarter kind of deal that he he realized he had made a couple of key mistakes in that in that kickstarter program but you know he's older he plays poker he's kind of retired and plays cards for a living um you know i I, i'm not retired but i'm certainly going to get a lot more selective and the idea of doing a really really low budget movie which, you know, if you did Ice Cream Man and did it for a couple of hundred thousand dollars, you'd have to shoot it really fast. And I'm 60 years old for crying out loud. You know, I mean, I, I just I feel like that it's a young man's game. Um, and if we got the right team around us, if somebody came, if somebody came to us that really Norman and I really felt like the guy had the, 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 the chops and also the energy to kind of jam through this thing because making a little horror movie, I mean, it's 15 days of hell and then you got to go to post-production. You know, it's not the days of doing something. God, I don't know what we spent on evil speak. I bet you we spent 30 days or 35 days shooting evil speak, you know, and now somebody might give you 15 to make evil speak. Yeah. Do you, so do you like, you know, you're going, Sorry. Go no no. Go ahead. Sorry. I was to say, do you like do you like? Uh, are you a fan of like horror movies? Is that why uh, you know you started to do some of them? No, I started doing some of them because uh, producers called me with the intent of getting my social security number so they could pay me a paycheck. <laughs> right. Sure. Sure. I, I I have the distinct memory of of the first Evil Speak. Actually, was the first movie you know having read the script first of all it was the lead of the movie Mm -hmm. um and they had actually offered the part 
to somebody else, and I'm not going to say who it is because, but you know him, you'd know him. Um, and they they saw me, and they wanted to hire me. And you know the whole deal with the with the demon and getting possessed and cutting people's heads off. I asked my dad about it because I said, Dad, is this you know? Not that I'm just horribly uncomfortable with it, but you know, is this something I have to think about doing? He goes, he he said the classic actor's line. You know, Clint, if you don't do it, somebody else will. That's so, a good point. you see, I can't, I mean, I can't stop the movie from being made. Why not fully embrace it? And, hey, it's a movie. There's a little thing at the end of every movie that says any, any characters that even remotely remind you of somebody, it's, it's all BS because it's, a, it's fiction. You know, so... It's, it's fiction. And, you know, I've gone ahead and done some, you know, rugged stuff. I, there's a couple of things. There's a, only a couple of things I haven't done. But, you know, uh, evil speak, being possessed by the devil. I mean, heck, when I was a kid, I played a, a boy that predicted the end of the world. I love that one. That's one of my favorite episodes. It, it, it was, you know, I didn't realize that. I didn't think Rod Serling had written it. But it was a short story by a woman, and he had written the teleplay. Mm-hmm. And I have very, very vivid, fond memories of working on that. But, but the most vivid memory was we were shooting at a local uh, television station, KCOP Channel 13 in, in Hollywood. And every Wednesday they had wrestling from the studio. Oh, and nice. they would just they would set up a ring, a ring and you know, just from one direction, they'd bring in some bleachers and bring in a little crowd and have wrestling. And I was a big fan of wrestling when I was, you know, nine, 10 years old, 11 years old. And when we shot the night gallery, the boy that predicted earthquakes, we were filming at KCOP on a Wednesday. And my dad and I walked to the next stage and saw the fellas rehearsing that night's program. Wow. And it didn't burst any bubbles. I, I kind of knew it was fake, but I saw what they were doing. And it was just, it was like they were stuntmen working out of a fight. <coughs> right. And, and, you know, so here I have this kind of deep, heavy kind of character I'm playing that has a, you know, kind of a very bizarre kind of wrap up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet what I remember is watching them fake wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you at that time? Were you like 10? I think I was, I think I was either, I think I may have been 11. Okay. I, 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 I could go back and look when it was aired and, and when I did it, two different things. Like for instance, I know I did the Star Trek when I was six. Wow. I did an original episode of Star Trek. Now I, I didn't love that episode I, too. The Corbinite, Corbinite yeah. maneuver. Yeah, yep. no, that was a good episode. I just got back from the Star Trek convention and, um, you know, it, 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 not that I sit around and think about it, but when I do something like that, it comes to mind mm-hmm. and, uh, boy, it took a lot of chutzpah for mm-hmm. those people to hire a child mm-hmm. because it would have been so much easier with time. You know, I had to go to school. There was a limited amount of time I could be on the set. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, 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 they could have easily hired a little person right, and right. put, put, put some makeup or put a mask on him and do it that way. But it was, it, it was very smart to use a kid because it made the story. It, 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 
it made an entirely new level of kind of I don't know. It, it was just good. It was better. Yeah, it was it something was you better. hadn't seen before. Yeah, and speaking of that, when I had the Star Trek convention, there was a guy Felix who was a little person, uh, uh, a perfectly proportioned midget, not a dwarf. You know, he wasn't, Mm -hmm. he didn't have a big trunk and short legs. He was just a little guy. And he actually was Ron's stand in and, uh, extra like, you know, they would use him for a shot or two here and there from his back on the Andy Griffith show. Well, when I was about, when I was about, Oh, five, I did an episode of Bonanza. And now Felix was my stand-in and my stunt double. We filmed up in Tahoe, and there was quite a bit of hiking around. And I don't think there was any really stunts, but he worked a lot. And I have a picture of me and him playing catch together. Uh, just we had our baseball gloves, and we were up in Tahoe, so nothing to do, you know, play catch with Felix because he was my size. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, he played one of the he in in the original Star Trek. He played a monster. And I see him at the Star Trek conventions, and it it just blows me away to 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 have a conversation with him, knowing that we go that far back. Oh yeah, that's got to be wild. Yes. Oh, I, you see, we had little people stand in for us all the time. Both Ron and I. I mean, until until you hit about thirteen, and then they start hiring young girls or not young girls, but petite girls. Okay. Um, but I had a whole string of really great guys that, that were my stand-ins and my double, like on gentle Ben, there was this guy named Murray Wood and Murray Wood was just, uh, he was in wizard of Oz mm-hmm. and he was a way, he's an old throwback. Anyway, he had kind of somewhat retired down to, down to Miami and uh, Gentle Ben came along and he took the job. And uh, there's a, there was a picture of us in the Miami Herald. And he was teaching me how to play golf. And he had a oh. cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> 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 Which, you know, that doesn't really fly these days. You know what I mean? Right, right. right. Different times, yep. Yeah. Different time. But no, that was, you know, 1967. And uh, <laughs> he actually did, he, he acted in a Gentle Ben episode, an episode that my dad wrote. Oh, wow. So, yeah, my dad wrote, my dad was a professional writer and member of the Writers Guild, and he probably did four or five episodes of Gentle Ben. Um, he wrote, he, was, he did an episode of The Rookies. He wrote an episode of Annie Griffith's show. Mm. When he was getting started, he wrote three episodes of The Flintstones. Maybe it was oh. five episodes of The Flintstones. Wow. And yeah, I, no, say, I, I thought. I thought his movie Appleseed was really beautiful that you're also in. Uh, I did some interviews for Dance of the Films and got to see it. And uh, it was a really lovely movie. Yeah, thank you. No, I was, you know, listen, I have my qualms with it. And, you know, when you, I'm, I'm good friends with the director, Michael. And, uh, you know, there's, you get a little picky about, boy, maybe that's been done a couple of times too many in the script. Or, you know, because he, he what I saw a version of the movie where dad, they kept everything dad did that was the least bit funny in. Well, that's fine and everything, but it doesn't really move the story along. Right. So, but I thought Robbie Benson was great in it. And I was really proud of my work. And, and it was the last thing I got to do with my dad. And um, this is going to get me a little emotional, but 
we had never really acted together in a drama. We had done comedy and we had done silly, lighthearted stuff. But to play a character like I played and for him to be that guy mm-hmm. and for us to have that day together, just literally a couple of weeks before he fell ill, was um, I'll be forever grateful to Michael oh, yeah. for uh, getting that one done before uh, dad, you know, passed. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be, you know, definitely a special moment. And um, you said he got sick, you know, a couple weeks after, but when, when you're filming it, did you, did you know, you know, this, this, this will probably be his last movie? No, no, I try not to project like that. I mean, listen, mm-hmm. I, he was getting elderly. <laughs> and right. one moment of sadness was, you know, in the, in, in, in our scene, um, I heard the director a couple of times from off camera say, you know, cause he, he's looking at the monitor there, video village, uh, Rance, could you move your script out of the shot? Rance? It's your no, still further, further. Okay. It's out now. Uh, dad always was just, he, he was all about being prepared. That's the way he taught Ron and I, and he, he was all about knowing the words and, you know, and for him to be carrying around the script and having to have it so close to him, that was a somber kind of, you know, moment to, to, to realize that. But no, I, I didn't know he was going to get sick, but you know what? Dad was great at, at only giving him, you know, um, just information on a need to know basis. And, um, if he had gotten, if he had been sick and if he felt like that he could make it another couple of weeks, he wasn't going to turn the job down. Mm -hmm. Dad was all about working and this was a great part. And, um, you know, it, it, um, he may have had an inkling that he was, something was a little funky, but he didn't pass it along to me. And he sure enough, wasn't going to say anything once the show got started. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, no, that's just kind of the way dad was. I mean, dad always wanted to work, you know, as long as he lived and he did, he worked and he actually, the last thing he did was he did a day on arrested development. Oh, wow. and he, and he, he played it, he played himself and, and with his grandchildren. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't exactly know how they weaved it into the story, you know, but with Ron being the narrator and whatever, they just, yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so dad, um, dad went down and, and Ron said he, was looking kind of tired. Um, but everything was okay. The kids thought he looked kind of tired. Um, and then the next day he had a a spell. It looked like he, I found him and it looked like he had had a stroke, but, um, they did a bunch of tests and they found out it wasn't a stroke. He probably had, um, West Nile virus. Mm. Um, and you know, that was hard. I don't do dying parents. Well, yeah. Yeah, I don't think anyone does. Well, I don't know. I, you know, I I guess I had an expectation that I should do it well. <laughs> yeah. So, um but I couldn't wait. Ron was finishing solo and I called him immediately and said, "Hey, dad is in, you know, the emergency room." And um looks like he had a stroke. And Ron said, "Well, should I come now? I've got two more days to shoot and then I can, I'll be done and I can fly home. But if I come now, I'll stay, but then I'll have to fly back and shoot. And it was, you know, Ron would have gotten on an airplane that second if he would have, if I would have said, yeah, 
But, you know, like both Ron and I know, that would be the last thing Dad would want Ron to do. Right, right. So sure enough, you know, Ron, I mean, Ron, no, just, you know, come on Tuesdays, whatever it was. So Ron, two more days, and Ron was in the air coming back, and boy, I couldn't wait for the cavalry to arrive. Because, um, you know, without Mom, and I, I had recently gotten divorced, Oh. So that, you know, I didn't have a support system. Yeah. It was just sort of a, it was just a unique thing. I'm very glad to see Ron, you know, very mm-hmm. glad to see Ron, but I wasn't so glad to see him. Um, well, I was glad to see him. I don't think he was glad to see me. Um, the day that, that, uh, Trump was elected president of the United States. <laughs> um, we had a genuine dust up that evening. Um, rarely does Ron yell and rarely does he like, <laughs> and, and, and he, he went the full spectrum on that. And, um, you know, I, I, I sit on the right side of the table and he sits on the left side of the table. And the thing is, is we, whenever we have a, a dust up or some sort of, you know, political dis, uh, discussion, it always ends with, I love you, buddy. I love you, brother. Yeah. You know, so we, we managed to bury it, but we will have, oh, are you kidding me? Don't get me started, <laughs> you know, but no, I mean, and Ron was just that we, we normally get along really, really well. Um, mm-hmm. and on that night day, he was particularly sort of upset. Yeah. Yeah. It does that, does that hurt? Deplorable. I felt extra deplorable <laughs> that day. <laughs> does that hurt you in Hollywood to, to be uh, openly right wing? Oh, no. You know, my teeth were cut long before anybody knew what my politics was. And I had worked 20 or 30 years without the studios banging at my door. And I realized, you know, first of all, I'm really good friends with Gary Sinise. And and I I, I just felt like that, hey, you know, those of us that feel a certain way, we shouldn't feel like we got to keep our mouths shut. Now, I wouldn't tell any ingenue or any young fella starting out in the business to air his political laundry, I would not, I would say, don't do it. But for me, it was kind of a, what the heck, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I don't see, nobody's having a bidding war over me anyway. So, you know, Uva Bowl will hire me. He doesn't care. He doesn't get the vote. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and, uh, and Ron will hire me and guys like Rob Zombie, who probably is one of those deplorable ones himself, but, he keeps his mouth shut. Right. Yeah. And uh, I have to bring this up. Uh, my friends, uh, Mike, uh, Michael Epstein and Sophia Cassiola, uh, they wanted to uh, me mention this, that they love your snow globes. Oh, thank you. I've got three that are getting ready to just be released or not released. But get it, they're getting glued actually. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, th- I like doing them. You know what? If I didn't like doing them, I'd stop. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find them all kind of fascinating. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, I, I have them at my house. I, they're for sale for $220,000. If you want to buy one, it, it, <laughs> I'll tell you one. I'll, I'll, I'll drive an Uber to your house. If you buy mm-hmm. one for 220, my, my theory, my business theory is all I got to do is, is sell one. That's right. all to sell one baby. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I like, I like putting them together. I like thinking the ideas. Um, I, it, some of them are funny. Some of them just are because I can, 
Like I put a snow globe inside of a snow globe. Um, you know, I it just, I built one real tall. Um, but the, you know, originally a snow globe was designed to be a magnifying instrument for science. Oh really? That, I didn't I know mean, that. A, a round, a round ball or round sphere, sphere filled with water magnifies. And for a while, this was right at the turn of the 20th century. This fellow had invented it and it was, it was, things were looking good. And literally within months, they had learned to grind glass and were doing lenses that were making his invention of a few months obsolete. And he, as a, he needed to do something with it. So he, this is the story. He put a scene inside of it and that's how the snow globe got invented. Um, so I like it because, you know, if you set it somewhere and you, you look at it, it looks different from every angle. It, it, it just, it looks, you know, I've got Randy Quaid jumping the reservation and, um, you know, from each angle, it, it, he looks different. I mean, you know, uh, I've got a guy sleeping with the fishes, um, and, Ah, he looks the same. He he's pretty much just got cement <laughs> shoes on at the bottom of a river. Um, but I don't know. I I just like doing them. So I appreciate the people that that you know pay attention and 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 you know if anybody happens to have a, a an extra two hundred twenty thousand dollars, they can always contact me on Facebook and I can you know set up a deal. I can call Uber right now if you want. All right. Hopefully we get like a ten percent finder's fee if uh, if someone uh, purchases <laughs> one off the show. <laughs> no comment apparently but no where, where did no the, where, uh, maybe an autograph photo uh when when did that start the snow globe uh, you making snow globes oh in in 2015 was there any like uh reason you started to do it well you know uh, my marriage wasn't going all that good and um, i have a garage at my house and it was um, their separation between a bad marriage and, um, uh, you know, in the garage. So I went out there fiddling with, some, you know, for something. To do. I used to play a lot of golf. And without playing golf, I didn't have that outlet to disappear for five hours. And so with the snow globe, I was out in my garage and um, it gave me a little distance from my future ex-wife. And I, you know, I hold nothing. We were married for 21 years. It just, we slowly grew apart. Uh, uh, do you mind if I ask a couple questions from, uh, from social media people sent in? Sure, sure. Uh, let's see. Nicholas Hunt wants to know about working on the church bingo episode of Married with Children. Mom was in it. Mm-hmm. That was, I mean, that was a biggie. I, um, getting to see her act independently um and not in one of ron's student films or you know not it, it, that was a blast and i remember that show they were um it was like seinfeld they were very not confident but they enjoyed being funny and there wasn't a lot of crisis or conflict on the set it wasn't like what i heard roseanne was the the, the you know what the roseanne set was like mom did a few episodes of roseanne She's the only person probably in Hollywood that has nice things to say about Roseanne or else she doesn't <laughs> say them now, but 
she did. Um, <laughs> but she that married with children was was the, the big highlight was getting to work with mom. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Butler, did you get to hang out with the Ramones during the filming of Rock and Roll High School? Yep. Um, they they were they kept to themselves mostly. And Roger Corman, the schedule is so tight that there wasn't a lot of time to socialize. I got to know Johnny. Uh, I didn't really get to know Joey too well. I got to know Marky, the drummer, um, and, and actually went to, I, while they were working on Rock and Roll High School, uh, their manager or somebody had booked him a gig to open for Black Sabbath. That didn't go well. Um, they, they literally, they literally got whiskey bottled off the stage. Oh no. And we were backstage with, you know, I mean, me and a buddy went to see him and, you know, so we were just back there watching the band play from the wings and full whiskey bottles, full full bottles of, 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 of liquid flying up at the stage and um, the Ramones, they, they, they left the stage one time and they, they talked with, I don't know who it was, the promoter, the, the stage manager or something. And they weren't really so concerned about getting hit by the whiskey bottles. It was getting electrocuted. Um, and they thought they, they decided to go back on and give it one more shot. And, and sure enough, the booze and the, the booze, the, the booze and the booze started flying again. And that was, the end of the uh, Ramones opening for uh, Black Sabbath. <laughs> uh, Billy Pond wants to know, have you ever passed on any roles that you've regretted not doing later? No, not, not, not regret. Um, I tell you the, there was a Rob Zombie film that I didn't do that. I, it was just a matter of taste. Um, and it, while I was married, it, it, it was, especially when, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I didn't hide things from my wife, but it was, it was of such questionable taste that, and it wasn't anything I was doing. It was just the whole scene, the thing I was in. I just, I, I called Rob and I said, no, sorry, Rob, I can't do this. And he was cool. Um, I, I, Uva Bowl made a movie called Postal, yeah. which was just rude and, and bad, like most Uva movies. Um, oh. But this was exceptionally bad. And I turned it down for the taste issue. And, but the number one A-lister was the Flintstones, the original one with John Goodman and Rick Moranis. Yeah. I got offered to be one of Fred and Barney's bowling buddies. Oh, oh yeah. And I knew that I was going to be just kind of the third guy on the right as an extra. You know, I was going to get a couple of weeks work, but yeah. I, I, it wasn't going to be any kind of part of note. And I just, at that time in my life, there was no way I was getting into that outfit that wardrobe <laughs> that they were making everybody wear it was just, i was not going to get in some sort of a loincloth you know thing um and i'm but i don't regret it i mean the residual would have been pretty good but um i don't think I, I missed an opportunity to you know work on a fine piece of work i you know what i don't normally i don't normally turn stuff down mm-hmm. that's the you know that's sort of the secret that's why, that's why I've been in a lot of titles, and that's when I've been in a lot of bad movies. 
well, what's Yui Bull like? I haven't him on the show. I I like him as a as a character. I think he's a very funny guy. Uva's a great dude. Mm-hmm. Uva is. I would jump in a foxhole with Uva. In a moment's notice, I would throw him the keys to my house. In a moment's notice, he's he's fair. He's honest. He doesn't lie. Um, he's just not a very good director. And you know what? He doesn't really care. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's it's as if, you know, there's always that producer-director fight that happens where, you know, the producer is saying, got to go faster, and the director's wanting more time or whatever. Well, you see, Uva is the producer and the director. And that conversation, that argument's already happened inside of Uva's head, <laughs> and the producer won. Uh-huh. So Uva, even though he's got a doctor doctorate in philosophy and, you know, he's a he's a well-schooled guy and he just he doesn't think that his movies were any worse than Laura Croft Tomb Raider. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, I I always not always I, I only where I worked on a oh, four or five of his movies, but I kept trying to get him to, you know, have a little more touch and yet i saw one of the last things i worked with him on it was blubberella and we were seeing we were doing a scene and i was not in the shot but i was there by you know just standing around because we were moving so fast um uva was at video village which is basically just a tv monitor and he's reading a ring magazine in german I mean, they, they do, they used to publish ring magazine in Germany and they, he was a boxing aficionado. Um, I saw him, I swear to God, I, Matthias was his cameraman, his camera operator, his cinematographer. He yelled rolling. Go Matthias. And then he doesn't pick his eyes up from the ring magazine <laughs> the entire time he's listening. He's, but he's reading the ring magazine. And then <laughs> When he hears the last piece of dialogue, he says, Chad, yes, is it good? Okay, we print, move on. He didn't, he didn't pick his eyes up from the great magazine once. Uh, wow. So, yeah, but I'll tell you what, it, uh, that, that being said, I've worked with a lot of directors who I, I don't consider to be all that good. But, you know, mm-hmm. as a man, as, a, as an employer... Uba's just top notch. And what's really nice is he, you know, he owns a restaurant now up in Vancouver and he's, he's always loved food and loved to eat. And, and, and he would always knock off at like five o'clock in the afternoon. Cause he'd always have a dinner reservation. Uh-huh. So we could always guarantee ourselves that we were going to get done early because Uba's was going to go <laughs> eat somewhere. <laughs> That's always a and, plus. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. So I have, you know, uh, seriously, nothing but the very, very best for Uva. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to say, uh, Mike Terry wants to know, uh, The Wraith is an amazing movie. What did you think when you first read the script? The script was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it might be better than it was. And I'm not to say that it's bad. Mm-hmm. Mike Marvin was a pretty good writer. And the script laid out pretty good on paper. I think he's a better writer than he was a director. Um, and, and, and I just, for me that, listen, there are highlight moments and I had a blast working on it. It was one of those movies where I am still friends with several of the actors that were in that movie. 
And that normally doesn't happen. Apollo 13 was one of those movies where the friendships that were developed on the set carried over. Um, on the race, Charlie and I have, have remained friends. Um, uh, Dave Sherrill and, and Jamie Bozian, the guys that played Skank and Gutter Boy, and Chris Nash. It was just one of those, you know, I was young. The, the guy, Charlie was only about 20 or something. And um, oddly enough, weird is it? Charlie kind of looked up to me because I was, he could tell I was pretty eccentric and he was just getting started and I had some experience. And we ended up kind of hanging out, becoming friends. And I actually starred in the first two little short films that he made. Um, he, when he got back from doing uh, Platoon, he had met a fellow named Johnny Depp. And me and Johnny Depp did a movie that Charlie made, uh, which was just kind of his excuse to blow something up. And it was, it was me and Johnny blew up a, a photo mat with an RPG. And that basically is the, that's the story. And we actually, Charlie did two of those. He did RPG one and RPG two. And he had had kind of an uptick in his career. The first one was done on 16. The second one was done on 35. And we blew up a full-sized lifeguard tower. Because <laughs> um, in this, and, and he also he brought in Dolph Lundgren to oh, no play the villain. Yeah, was, and, and I never, never forget when <laughs> Dolph wa- walked into the honey wagon, or not the honey wagon, into the, uh, like the, the RV. And Johnny and I were in the back probably having a couple of adult beverages and we look up at this guy and he just comes in the door and he's got to like hunch over to walk through this RV <laughs> and without missing a beat, Johnny goes, look, it's Dolph lunchbox. And for whatever reason, we found that absolutely hilarious. So for the, you know, the next couple of days, we, you know, I don't think we ever called him Dolph, but he was always Dolph lunchbox. And yeah, he, he was a really nice guy, but, in the original, Johnny hadn't done anything. I got credit over Johnny. It's RPG starring Clint Howard and Johnny Depp. Well, at, something happened called 21 Jump Street. Mm-hmm. And a meteor, me, meteoric career was launched. <laughs> and when Charlie got Johnny to come back and do part two, of course, the title, the, the credits had to get flipped. So I got lapped by Johnny Depp. <laughs> that's not too bad so, no, no no could be worse it could be a lot worse <laughs> uh, I'll ask one more here Craig Lindbergh wants to know uh, how many times do people ask to have Tranya with you <laughs> how many times has he been asked if he's, a, if he's related to Lindbergh <laughs> <laughs> countless countless uh, and, and people People, they love to they love to boast about what they've developed a recipe for Tranya or, or you know. Oh no! And, <laughs> yeah, and they have no idea. You know, it's not a fizzy fruity beverage. It's you know, Baylock was trolling for drinking buddies. He was trolling the galaxy for <laughs> drinking buddies. And you know, that's all. It, that's what the episode was about. Yep. I, I was there by myself, and I ended up suckering in the. <laughs> the Enterprise ended up leaving one of them with me. And you never saw him again. So, you know, um, he didn't take two. That's still his drinking buddy now, bro. <laughs> yeah. No, but Baylock just, you know, and I imagine it was probably, it probably had some kick. 
I'm sure it would be something that Skank and Gutter Boy from the right would have enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Rockhead approved. Very good. So, uh, you mentioned Facebook. Tranya. How can people Tranya. Wait. Yeah, Tranya. Uh, Tranya. I hope you relish it as much as I. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you know what? I have a Facebook page. I don't really keep it. I, I, you know, I don't stay on top of it. So yeah. social media, so to speak, it's, I had it from the beginning. And in fact, I still, I'm not a fan page. I'm not, I'm not a, it's a regular page. Um, it started so far back. How embarrassing is this? I originally started on MySpace. Nice. Yeah. So did we. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, it's kind of sick. I mean, I, <laughs> It's like, wow, how archaic is that? Talk about getting lapped. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I tried, so, to lo- anyway. I tried to log into it recently, but I, I couldn't even figure out how to log into it. Oh, no, really? Oh, my yeah. space. I, yeah. I don't even know what, where my password is. I just let sleeping dogs lie. So <laughs> we'll wait until they come. Yeah. Facebook, Ken Howard. Back. Facebook, Clint Howard. If, and, you know, you can see snow globes. I'm not real active on it. You're not going to get any news of the day. In fact, if there's news to share, that's when I shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great. Uh, I love talking to you. And yeah, uh, people thank should you so see much the for coming on. Yeah, well, I, next... I appreciate it. And li- I, listen, I hope um, Three from Hell really s- scores for everybody, for Rob, mm. you know, for everybody involved. And, and for Bill, Bill is really good. I, you know, I wish Bill would have a little more opportunity to do things other than Otis, you know, because when he puts on that wig, man, he is Charlie Manson. <laughs> oh, yeah. And when you see him going bang, bang, and you hear Rob go, Bill, you can't say bang, bang. <laughs> you're telling people. It's, it, 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 that's a keeper. That's an all timer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of Bill Mosley. What I always think is cool, too, he can play. Uh, like a, a little like uh, a snively guy, like uh, or he could play as Otis. You think of him as like this big, you know, a scary guy, and uh, it's really just his acting. His uh, he could play, you know, all different all different types of people. Yes, as actors tend to do. <laughs> no, I mean, I well, yes, I listen. If given the opportunity, I would love to 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 see and to work with Bill on multiple levels you know um i'd love to see him really chew on stuff i mean he was in he was in church some i mean he but i'd like to see him do more and like you said he's almost like a serious version of barney five he could do that oh yeah i'm not sure whether he's got the chops to do you know the comedy chops to do barney but he could he could do that he could play the nervous guy yeah yeah he's a pretty funny guy because he adds a lot of comedy to a lot of the horror movies he's in even if it's yeah, really that's dark, easy. When you, it's a little bit. Of, when yeah. I tell you though, it's easy to get laughs in a horror movie because when you're l- that good, like Bill, you know, almost if, if he farted, he gets a big laugh. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. It, it's just it's there is horror movies are ripe for types of humor, and so not that they, I discount that, but mm-hmm. it's just don't forget, man. When somebody thinks they're scared crapless, and then you know, a, a funny thing comes up. Laughter is a wonderful way to sort of expel the tension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Very good. 
Well, this has been great, and uh, I hope to do it again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah, no, please. I mean, I you know I completely get it in terms of um, um, you know needing content and you know filling up space or somebody. I'm always available. Well, not always, right. but. Right, right. Well, join us next week when when, when Clint returns here. Clint <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Howard, yeah, yeah, right on, right on, right on. Uh, maybe, maybe you know what? I might change my number if that be the case. But, no, anyway, <laughs> no, but we we need up. to hear the the message though. <laughs> That's true. That you know what? You call back in a month, and I guarantee there'll be another one. It'll be a good one. Okay. All right. Excellent. We're gonna hold you to that. Yeah, we have it recorded. Oh yeah. Here, so. I've got one on my. I've got one in my mind right now. <laughs> All right, sounds good. All right. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you, guys man. And have a good good evening. Yeah.
Hi, this is Adrienne Barbeau. Just call me Billy. Everyone does. And you're listening to withoutyourhead.com. All right, and we're back here once again at the station of decapitation. Without your head, I am Nasty Neal. And I remain terrible, Troy. Very awesome to have Clint Howard on. That was tremendous. That was even better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I was really looking forward to it. And he, was just, he was just the man. Yep, yep. Definitely exactly. a guy he can come back anytime he'd like. Exactly. Coming up uh, later here tonight, we have Gary Kent on the show. Totally looking forward to that, too. Yeah. Uh, stuntman, actor, director, writer, special effects artist, stunt coordinator for Six decades from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Really, it's uh, seven decades now. Think about it. In 2018. Wow. Been in tons of stuff. And he is also the real life inspiration for the Brad Pitt character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So we're going to find out the real story. Of Spawn Ranch because that whole scene is based on a real life instance with uh, with Gary and the Manson family. That's just crazy. Mm-hmm. In Spawn Ranch. All right, we have Mr. Lindbergh on the line. Hi guys, how you doing? Good thing. All is well. How are you? It- and uh, Glenn Howard actually had a question for you. He said, how often do people ask if you're related to Charles Lindbergh? Every single day. <laughs> that was his answer to how many times people ask uh, if, if uh, about the project. <laughs> <laughs> They'll tell him he was correct. Yes, every single day. <laughs> actually, years ago, I had friends called up my house, and they were like, oh, they told my mother, like, Oh, we have the Lindbergh baby, and she said, "Yeah, you can keep him." Give him up. I like that. I like how that. You guys doing? Yeah, how you guys doing tonight? Everything's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, looking forward to Buffalo here next week. Cool. You for four yeah. won't be able to make it this time. Nah, nah. Uh, yeah, my family comes back from their trip, so I have to be at home. So, yeah, cool, good. Yeah, you know what? We, so, we're not going to talk into bailing on on your thing. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I had to live with them. Unless you want to have me show up at your door with like a, <laughs> a stick with a with some clothes and like a polka dotted rag. I've always wanted to see that, though. To be honest, okay, just, yeah. Not, not like for you personally, but just you know, just someone doing yeah. it. Yeah. I would probably give people money if they did. Like, you know, I get when I go to the city, everyone's asking for money everywhere. But if they actually had like a stick with like a bag tied at the end, I'd probably, hey, look at that. It's an old school hobo. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so it was just, cool. I, uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll just say for any hobos out there listening, that's some advice for you. But I don't know how you'd be listening, I guess, if you're a hobo. You tell them to wear a barrel around there with suspenders and hang across oh, yeah. their shoulders. Riding on the trains across the country. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Drinking champagne and, uh, out of a woman's slipper. 
uh, good interviews tonight. Yeah, it was. Uh, I thought it was awesome with um, Clint Howard, who's amazing. And uh, coming up will uh, be Gary Kent. Well, I will admit, cool. I recorded it earlier today because of uh, just we had to do it uh, for time. But uh, that will be playing uh, later on tonight. Oh, that's awesome. That's so yeah, cool. You know, I usually listen to like the day after. Day mm-hmm. after you guys, you guys do it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because I, you know, I listened to the Joe Castro one, right? Uh-huh. And uh, he was talking about the Cinemagic magazine yeah, and yeah. the famous monsters of Filmland. And it's very interesting to hear how so many of us, we'll say, have sort of all had that connection mm-hmm. at a certain time period of uh, reading these types of magazines and, you know, um, that's what kind of, you know what I mean? That's what kind of got us into it. And, uh, and just, just, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of cool to hear that. You kind of go, what that guy, it's kind of cool when you, when, when you work with someone who's kind of famous and, and then you, you go like, and you start talking about something and then you're like, wait, you, you used to read that magazine too. <laughs> like, yeah, all the yeah. time. Yeah. It's all. Yeah. You realize, you know, there's a similarity there. you both, uh, you know, you both started like at, at the same level. Yeah. Yeah. Both started, I mean, he, talking you know. to, he talked to, uh, not him, but the other guy, the Bellis, See if I'm selling, saying his name wrong. Bella Simo, Bella. Oh, but um, J- James uh, Balsamo. Oh, Balsamo, okay, yep, thank you. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Because uh, he mentioned guys that are New York guys that on the show, he, Church Haley, another guy, yes, uh, Steve Seidelbaum, I believe that's it. So I'm like, no, I know those guys. It's kind of cool. And she was, oh, I know those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool. So. Um, I wasn't going to ask, uh, Matt, you, you guys talk, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of like listening in. So. <laughs> so how's everything going with you these days? Uh, it's good. It's good. good. We, uh, the deuce is wrapped. We oh. finished that show. I'm on a couple and now I'm in what we call a day player. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, I've been bouncing around. Mm-hmm. I did a show today called uh, Plot Against America, which is going to be an HBO show. I've been doing that, The Marvelous Miss Maisel. I've done a couple of days on that. Nice. I'm on another show called Almost Family, which I believe is going to be on NBC. So I've been I've been doing the uh, the sort of day playing life. You know, for people who don't know, that's like a freelancer coming for the day. You work for the day, eight hours, maybe more, and then you're done, and then you might move on to something else the next day. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be kind of like exciting. You're kind of it is, it is, because you get a chance to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like today, the plot against America takes place in the 1940s, so we were making people look like they were from the 1940s, which was funny because I guess it's something to do with the show where they're talking about. Um, uh, we want Lindbergh. We want Lindbergh. I guess there's something about Charles Lindbergh, the pilot, and, and all that going on there. And I'm screaming, I'm right here. I'm right here. What do you want? It's, it's a joke for the shot. Maybe when they yeah. see it. Yeah, you, you had to be there. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I play a week. Don't forget to tip your waitress and try to do it. Yeah. 
Uh, Oh, go on. No, I was going to say, I saw that movie, Mandy. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan. And you liked it, right? Oh, yeah. You liked it? Yep. Uh, I don't don't know. (laughs) I mean, I liked his performance. It was a, it's a very it's a very bizarre movie. It's definitely gonna not be for everybody. No, I was just like looking at it, going like, "What am I watching? <laughs> what? What is it?" Uh, I was like, "What?" I'm like, because it had the anime in there, and I was just trying to figure out like, it was like watching a Cronenberg film, you know, like Eraserhead and all that. And you just oh, kind yeah. of go, "What am I watching here? Am I watching someone?" going down the rabbit hole and he's <laughs> putting it on film. Wow. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I've just gotten too linear where I just kind of like, you know, what am I watching? Just tell me a story. So, because, you know, I heard you say you liked it and I was like, okay. Oh yeah. I really, I really dug it, but yeah, it's definitely a bizarre and, uh, kind of just got to go with this. Yeah, but so I, what, could what see, it, I could see, I could see it. Yeah. I really like the whole thing. I mean, uh, it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's not your traditional storytelling. I liked how it's kind of a descent into into you know real madness. It's, it's got the slow build to it. I think uh, just the visuals and the, and the atmosphere of the movie, the music, the colors, and everything are just you know kind of sucks you in just visually to, to watch the movie. And the performance is great. And. Uh, you know, just these crazy. It's almost like the cover of like an like a uh, uh, like an old heavy metal magazine uh, um, mm-hmm. album or magazine like come to life because it's just like this crazy dude with this, these weapons is killing all these these demon guys, and then there's like multiple moons at the end. And it's like, is this even like on our planet? What's going on here? I I don't. Oh, so so you liked it because it was. It was a little bit of some bizarreness. Oh yeah, some things that kind of make you sit there and ponder it. And but it was like almost watching Death Wish. But <laughs> yeah, it's real. Lot, lots, yeah. And I thought it was a perfect use of uh, Nicolas Cage because they really embraced his Nicolas Cageness. That's true. That's a really great way to look at it. It gave Nicolas Cage to say, okay, you, you just be yourself, man. <laughs> and we'll write, right, right. we'll write something around it. Right. He, he totally fits in this world that they created. <laughs> I saw he's he's doing a um, a Lovecraft movie next. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Which uh, which story do you know? Uh, it's something the uh, color, because I saw so- someone was mad that uh, they... They use the American uh, spelling of color and not the uh, English one, but it's like, well, it's an American movie. <laughs> yeah, well, Lovecraft was also American, so. Yeah, color of yeah. outer space. Color out of oh, space. Okay. Yep, yep. I think that one's got like a bunch of like space bugs in it. Okay. I guess when he wrote it, he, he used the OU version of color. Oh, Okay. Well, that's sort of like a nice way of saying it. It gives it a sort of like a, you know, like more of a highbrow sort of way to look at it. <laughs> it's you better know. than saying he was being pompous when he wrote it. <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, well, what, this, so this is some casting. It's Nicolas Cage and Tommy Chong. No way. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. 
together at last. <laughs> this is something I never thought I'd see. No. no. Oh, wait, okay. Oh, my this, God. This God I didn't even realize this. It's, and it's directed by Richard Stanley. I love Richard Stanley, former guest here on the show. Wow. Hmm. Okay, so who else can we put in there that could just balance out those two guys? But a female <laughs> actor that's sort of out there. Yeah, do you want one crazy, crazy, or like baked out of their head, or what? <laughs> Give him like, because I mean, because two guys, I mean, Tommy Chong, <laughs> Nicholas Cage. And Laura like, Dern. Like a page a day, and they'll just be like. Faye Dunaway. She's got to be crazy. Oh, my God. She'll probably kill them all within yeah. a day. That, oh, yeah. That would be pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because she, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, Not much I'm, written about I'm, it. This says a town is struck by a meteorite and the fallout is catastrophic. I may be thinking of a different story, but I'm pretty sure that's the one. Uh, I think we got like bugs from outer space in that one. Mm. Well, that's not good. Lovecraft. Yeah, same here. It's been a long, long time, but I think that was the story. I think I may have even heard it. Like somebody did a like an audio uh, version. It was kind of interesting. I'm reading the actual story. It says uh, the color. The Color Out of Space is a first-person narrative written from the perspective of an unnamed surveyor from Boston. In order to prepare for the construction of a new reservoir in Massachusetts, he surveys a rural area that is to be flooded near Lovecraft's fictional town of Arkham. comes across a mysterious patch of land, an abandoned live-acre farmstead, which is completely devoid of life. Hmm. All right. I think I'm combining things, then. Not the one I, I thought. Sounds like certain urban areas of New York of, uh, of the America. Mm. It could be. I mean, well, if they put it, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I love uh, like creepy old Nicholas Cage now. I, yeah, I like when he was real young, and then uh, had kind of a dry spell there, and now that he's crazy, like creepy old guy, I love him. Yeah, I mean, I guess you sound is sort of, uh, well, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you know what it kind of makes me think of? Um, like, I think the other, I think on the last pod, podcast, you guys were talking about uh, Nicolas Cage doing a sort of almost like, a, like an action kind of film where he was like a violent killer or something like this. And it made me think of Keanu Reeves now that he's sort of had this sort of resurgence with doing mm. the John Wick films where he, from this of not stoner, but you know, like the Bill and Ted kind of thing, to this you know action hero. Yeah, yep. And he's doing so well, and it's just like when you when I said you're talking about Nicolas Cage doing something along those lines, and I was like, oh, he sounds like he's doing a John Wick sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, that'd be kind of cool. That- Imagine those two guys together. That would be good. Yeah. yeah. I saw that uh, they're because they've been wanting him to be part of the, the MCU for a while. Um, and I guess uh, now there's talks that he might play Moon Knight. Not Nick Cage. No, Keanu Reeves. Can oh, you. okay. All right. Hmm. 
That might be I interesting. I don't know a lot about Moon Knight. I, I know his look. He looks cool, but I, I don't yeah, really know. Yeah, he's got a great look. Yeah, he was, it was some kind of where he found, he was like an adventurer. Like, here you go. Here, here's my nerdness coming out. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's changed over, but I think it was like he found some kind of a statue. And the statue, he was like a, he was like a soldier of fortune. And the statue gave him powers. But he would reach his full powers only when the moon was out. Like it was like the werewolf began. He became a werewolf yeah. only during the full moon. Like he would have his powers because it he was, was like an Egyptian you know, thing, right? I think exactly. The, yeah. It's like uh, some kind of Egyptian guy, but he would reach his full potential of powers only when the, the moon was full. Mm. Look it up Wikipedia. That's where I learn all my stuff from. <laughs> The thing is, if he plays Moon Knight, most of the movie he won't have the mask on. That's they're true. Not gonna, they're not going to get Keanu Reeves and not show him the whole movie. Which I always thought they were kind of clever. With, they were clever with Iron Man because then they would have all the uh, the shots inside the mask, and it made mm. sense. But some of these later ones, it is a little like it's very obvious when like their mask just and everyone's mask just flies off. Like it made sense with Iron Man, but like Spider Man's mask just flies off him. Everyone's mask just flies off him all the time. Like like it just disappears. <laughs> it's you know so they can get everyone you know all the actors. And it gets a little obvious to me after a while. Like you know we just got to show all these these actors. Maybe um, I'm only, maybe I'm the only one annoyed by this. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you get annoyed by like the slight things. Yeah. <laughs> That last Spider-Man movie is just... I, nice. I love that last Spider-Man movie so much, I have, Dale. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I just <laughs> absolutely adored it. I, I, I loved it. everything about I it, thought it. I thought it might have been the worst uh, Marvel movie of, of oh. the MCU one. Yeah, I, I just loved everything about it. But it had Hydro-Man in it and Sandman in it. I know there's supposed to be something else, but it had sort of these older, obscure... Um, not the same obscure Marvel uh, villain, but like Hydro Man, didn't they have that going on? Well, in that movie? they had kind of like an elemental type feel. So you had a water thing and like an air thing, and so I guess you you could say they they kind of did a little bit, you know, like that. But yeah, I don't think it was supposed to. I, I know uh, because I think it was people just saw clips and thought this was Hydro Man, but in within the movie, I don't think it was supposed to be. Yeah. When I okay. first saw the ads, I thought it was too, because then it was kind of like the molten man when you saw like the big, uh, like right. fiery guy and stuff. Hmm. Yeah, the, the main guy was Mysterio. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 He's long overdue of being in one of those villains. I mean, you already had a couple of Green Goblins, well. If you reboot and get rid of all the other ones that came mm. before, like the Tobey Maguire and uh, what was his name? The it was his, well, who's the middle guy? <laughs> oh, Tom I can't think now, right? oh, yeah, yeah, that's him now. Garfield, uh, right? Andrew Garfield. All right, there you go. Right? Yeah, that that would have been like now. Everyone's hating. It, like you forgot that guy's name. So maybe I should sit quietly on my couch and be quiet and like talk. Gonna be weird in like in like twenty years. Like what will happen to those middle movies? Because like I do think the 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 first Batman. I mean the first Spider Man 
trilogy has its fans and people always talk about it, and these new ones people talk about but those middle ones that like came out right before these new ones like will they just be totally forgotten well the one with electro should be forgotten yeah that's it's very like bad. such oh. a terrible movie yeah it's so awful yeah that's i know it's just like i think that's that's where marvel went into the dc universe a little bit mm. you know what i mean Oh, oh yeah, I'm getting more haters. <laughs> but I think that was still Sony doing that one. So that wasn't yeah, like an was, MCU uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. I'm just happy, though, that the Fantastic Four are going to get, like, a chance now. Because they so definitely deserve it. They have had so many bad movies made that a good Fantastic Four movie would be so nice. You know, it's kind of funny about you mentioning the Fantastic Four. Do you do, have you ever seen the one that Roger Corman did? Oh yeah, that's the best one out of them all, and it's I terrible. Know, isn't that like yeah. like wasn't it? Remember that was like that was like the cheesiest, <laughs> worst one of them all, and now uh-huh. it's like the one that seems to be the better of all of the ones that have come out. Yeah, uh-huh. because at least the thing looked like the thing in that one, and at least it was fun, like. Like oh, it's not it good, but it's like book a lot more. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys watch the most recent one? That thing tr- was tough to get through. It's I tried, really but I didn't. Yeah. I didn't finish it. I know, like Doctor Doom's, it, like a he's like a troll on the internet or something. Oh, the worst rendition of Doom ever! Just terrible. Because yeah, the guy I played him in that in that nineties one, like he, like the you know the. The effects aren't very good stuff, but he does a good job playing Doom, I think. Oh, yeah, and I think the armor looked decent, too, as yeah, much yeah. as I can remember. Yeah, yeah, for like but, a, you know, real no-budget movie. Right. Still look, Corman, Dr. Doom, look like Dr. Doom. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, you could tell who it was. Yeah. I think my I favorite, it. though, is still with uh, Reed Richards at the end with, like, the the arm that's like a stretched-out wire waving goodbye yeah, yeah. to everybody <laughs> with the level up. And the That's camera just moves on the bottom of the camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had the guy on uh, the show who played uh, Doctor Doom in that movie. I remember that. Oh, no yep. kidding. Oh, pretty. Well, you know, I'm I'm, 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 a, I'm a newbie to your show. I think you've only been listening for about a year and a half now. So uh, um, he's been on, and also so, uh, the guy who played uh, the Human Torch has been on. Oh, from okay. the Roger Corman one, yeah. Oh, okay. they put out okay. a they put out a documentary called Doomed a, a few years ago. It's excellent. I I really recommend it. And it's a, it's a documentary about that uh, about the Roger Corman uh, Fantastic Four. Hmm. I mean that I mean at this point in time that they should buy that and and release it on DVD and give instead of the the multiple VHS copies you used <laughs> to get when you used to go to these conventions. Oh yeah, yeah a copy of a copy of a copy. No, it's just <laughs> put it on DVD by now and give it a 4K upgrade and say here, and people go, "Wow, this is the best FF I've ever seen." I'm so glad they finally came out with something that resembles the comic book. True. Uh, Was Jack Kirby uh, still alive when when Corman made that one? I don't know that. I don't know. I don't know. So. Sure. I don't think so. I mean, I don't know, but I don't believe he was. Do you do Doctor Doom in this in the new one right away, or do you wait and like build up to Doom? In in the newest one, no, it's yeah. it's a long wait, and it's so totally not worth it. 
Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, in these, go to that dimension in, and these. Yeah. I mean, in this new movie, do you think, do you think you'd go with Dr. Doom in oh, the first? I'd, I'd like to see the mole, movie? man. I, I, I think they should kind of stick with like, you know, do the old classic, like Kirby cover, you know, do yeah. a mole man with a shitload of monsters. I'd love to see that. Yeah, because then I think you build up to Doctor Doom because Doctor yeah. Doom is a big villain and he could even be in multiple of the the Marvel movies. Yep. Well, as long as they don't make Galactus a cloud again. <laughs> yeah, that was a sad moment too. <laughs> and I, I think I was I was. It's kind of like when I'd be so so gullible and naive and be excited at like all the Batman movies with, holy shit, that's going to be great with, uh, oh, the penguin. Oh, Danny DeVito is the penguin. Danny DeVito. And then I'd see it and I'd be so mad. And then the next one would come on. Tommy Lee Jones is two faced. This is going to be great. And then it was even worse than the last one. And I I think, (laughs) I think I did it with that because I'm like, I, wasn't it Doug Jones is the the Silver Surfer, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be awesome." No, I didn't even. I was wrong. It. Yeah, I don't think I ever watched that, that one with the Silver oh, Surfer. You're not missing out. No, yeah, don't worry. You know, don't hate <laughs> yourself that bad. If you want to, <laughs> want to be on the verge of jumping off a bridge, go watch, go watch uh, Batman Forever and that one right back to back. <laughs> two different screens. In any of the big screen Punisher movies, just watch like a big uh, trilogy of those. (laughs) Well, that—that's when they really got right with the TV show, though. I really dug. Oh, yeah, the TV show was great. The Netflix one. Yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to get my friend who did the makeup effects on that on those Marvel shows to come talk to you. Okay. Oh, awesome. I've been tried. I, I just spoke to him the other day, and I said, "You got to." He was telling me a great story about because uh, he, he was on the last season of Happy, and he was telling me these really funny stories. I said, "Dude, you got to contact. Uh, you got to contact these guys. You got great stories." He was like, oh, "Yeah, I will. I will." I'm like, yeah, "Come on, you got great <laughs> stories." <laughs> I do. I do uh, appreciate you trying. Either way, that's very nice. Oh yeah. Oh, you know. I mean, because you know these. You know these. It's the same thing. Everyone has a great story to tell. And there's, you know, um, I look at it as it's entertainment and it's truthful, fun. It's sometimes, you know, as people move about their life, this is, you can get privy to another type of environment, another type of life that you may not have access to unless you watch documentaries you know it's, it's mm. sad when sometimes the documentaries about movies are far better than the movies themselves <laughs> yep um so that's you know i mean and, and and your your show is all about the business about the entertainment you know you have actors writers directors uh, makeup people you're having all these types of people all across the spectrum coming out and and and, and, and you're getting amazing guests it's like, mm. it's like you know you, you got to think about that. Look at all the guests you're getting. Uh, that people go, oh shit, I know that motherfucker. I can hold that. <laughs> That's amazing, you know. And um, and it's it's just you know you you have stories. I have stories because you know most people who take the train in nine to five, they'll never know any of this kind of shit, mm. you know. And being able to tell those stories and 
also inspire the next person. Who say like, well, if that guy can do it, I can do it too. Mm-hmm. And they, I won't learn, and I learn from his mistakes, their mistakes, mm-hmm. and do it, do it that much better. So you know, I, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah, and it, I think uh, not to be uh, morbid, but you know, and people aren't around forever, and you never know when you won't be here. So it is nice to to get your stories out there and, and uh, immortalized. Mm. You know, like a, you know, a lot of interviews we had of people that you know Tom Toll isn't here anymore. Uh, Benny Chapman, who played Creature from the Black Lagoon, and to have him on the show and him to tell his you know all the stories of being a Creature from the Black Lagoon, and it, you know it's up there forever for people to listen to. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I I kind of like when 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 an actor like Chapman, he you know he embraced being the creature. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't like you because sometimes you get an actor who is famous for doing a, a, like a show, like let's say I don't know for for, for example, uh, uh, like Gilligan's Island. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Denver saying, "Yeah, Gilligan." He, he went around. He's you know famous, and he accepted who he was as this actor who played this character. And this you know Gilligan's Island's on probably somewhere. You know, it's like I Love Lucy. Right. somewhere on this planet it's there and why not and I always find it funny when an actor will go oh I don't want oh I don't want to be known for that I'm like but you are known for that <laughs> yep you're playing a character that's literally known all over the world and there are people who love you because you played this character so why are you fighting that I mean that, that's why sometimes I, I I, I, I find, you know, I mean, I can understand it to a certain degree, but hey, man, embrace it. Oh, and, yeah. and, you know, Travis was one of these guys, you know, it was like there's so many other actors who say, yeah, I'm good. You know, yeah, I played Gilligan and okay. So I'm going to show up as Gilligan because that's how people know me. And if I brought joy to somebody and I made them laugh and people love me for what I did, I'm going to embrace it. Instead of looking at the other side of being like, oh, I'm only going to be known as Gilligan. And I'm like, uh, is that such a bad thing? Oh, right. Yeah, there are billions of other people that won't be known as anything. So that's not yeah. so bad in the you yeah. know the grand scheme. Yeah, that's how Burt Ward was when I had him on uh, Inside Your Head, who uh, played Robin. But he totally embraced it. And he was, you know... You could tell that it wasn't an act or anything. You could tell he was really excited about talking about Robin. It was a big, you know, huge part of his life, and uh, oh, yeah. how he's you know stayed relevant. And he still you know does you know festival conventions today because of it. And I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we have something on cable here called Me TV, and I mean it's been a while, but they were showing the old Batman. Uh, mm-hmm. Shows and my kids were sitting here watching it with me, and you know they were younger, and they were all uh, shit. I grew up with this thing, and now my kids are sitting <laughs> yep. next to me watching it too. Yeah, and I think time with- I think well with that show they were pretty. You know, it's more clever than what you think, and I think they made it where it appeals to people of all different ages because you could just watch as a kid. Hey, it's Batman. This is fun. And when you're older, you kind of, you can get like a, a lot of the dialogue is like, there's a lot of like, you know, innuendo in there uh, that you probably wouldn't get when you're a kid. And 
uh, and then just the idea of it being this old kind of uh, schlocky show. So like it appeals to not only all, all different ages, but I think all different generations. I mean, how many times have you seen a parody or borrowed like the Zowie and the Pow? <laughs> oh yeah, everywhere. The theme song and the Batusi. Everyone knows the Batusi. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's. It's 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 in some odd way it's, it's iconic. Parts mm-hmm. of it may not have everything about it, but and then you look at all the actors who were playing the villains. Oh yeah, everyone wanted to be part of it. I mean, it's oh, amazing when you if you, if you look down that roster, you're like, really? And uh, I'm not taking anything away from those two gentlemen, but if you kind of think about it, like, well, Vincent Price, you had there was an auto premature on this, Earth is <laughs> Kid, Julie Newmar, yeah. Bert Meredith. Frank Gorshin. Frank Gorshin. Frank Gorshin. Yep. You know, you yep. had one, you, you go like, wow, those are big, big names. Uh, yeah. Names. Oh, yeah. And you're like, and they, were, and they were playing these wacky roles, and the villains weren't particularly evil. They were just, it was like a kind of a fun show. So. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably why it lasted so long, because there's no, there's no, it's it's not politically driven. It's not it's not timely. You know what I mean? It's right. like it could be anywhere, anytime. You know, there's no real except for maybe the what they wore wardrobe wise. Oh yeah. But beyond that, there's no way you could say, well, that took place in the sixties. We know it did, but you know, yeah, nothing, the only thing I can really relate to that would be uh, like when the Muppet Show was real big. And like people were fighting to get on that, and you'd see mm. like all these giant like uh, it was like a who's who of people on there. And if you go back and you you watch them because I think they had them on Netflix, and uh, you know like Alice Cooper's on the Muppet Show back in the day, and like just everybody. It wasn't um um they keep talking. I'm trying to remember his name. Um, big singer. Uh, Oh my God! Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, not just Please. the villains, not even just the villains, because uh, when I had Bert on, he said like they just didn't have enough villains for everyone to play that wanted to be on. So that's why they started doing those little things when they were climbing up the wall and just oh, people okay. would pop out, pop out of the window, like uh, Frank Sinatra and stuff. To, you know, just to get because yeah, he wanted to be on, and yeah, and there wasn't enough villains, you know, for him to, to play, you know, another one. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. See, that's cool. They had all these, you know, who's who of who's who's who of actors at the time being on that show. Oh yeah, I remember Roddy McDowell being what the bookworm or something like that on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Imagine that, like, like the screen test they had to go through. <laughs> <laughs> what if they had to? They said, "Listen, this, this, you got the part. We wrote it for you." Just come on and read. <laughs> oh yeah, yep. Yeah, that that right. was probably a blast to work on that show. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, I mean, how many shows growing up you still kind of watch but come back again? Like you just said, it's always on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It just kind of kind of comes back again somewhere down the line. There's that nostalgia of you know. People getting older, like oh, I used to watch this show. This is great. 
Hold on, let me get my teeth. Put them in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love I love watching shows. I mean, it's funny. I, we got Netflix here, and what shows am I watching? But shows I watched ten years ago. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to watch this show. It's brand new. I'm like, uh, once I'm finished with the other show that I've been watching, <laughs> I'll go see it. Well, that's what's always fun about kids, though, because like once they discover something, if it's new to them, then it's got to be new to everybody. Like, hey, mm-hmm. have you ever seen this old show? It's it's Star Trek. And I think you might like it. I remember, you know, one of the junior high kids telling me that. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll give it a shot. I'll see if I, you know, see what I think. <laughs> That's really yeah, funny. I, I saw someone, honestly, recently they posted um, about, they just watched um, uh, Star Wars for the first time. Oh, and wow. I saying, and I was like, come on, dude. He's like, I. <laughs> Like they were recommending Star Wars to people, and I was like, "Come on!" And he was serious about it. It's just like, was it like a fifteen-year-old kid or something? Or no, it was a former call here on the show, uh, oh, Mister okay. Bucket, Charlie, Charlie Bucket. Oh, okay. But, uh, I don't know what. Uh, I don't want to say anything because he's kind of. I don't know what's going on with him. <laughs> wait, was Ch- wait Charlie Bucket? Isn't the name from? Yeah, that's From Charlie the, at the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, well, his, yeah, his real name's Charlie Burkett, but uh, but we always call him Charlie Bucket. Oh, okay, okay, all right. <laughs> so to say, well, you know, you you could be blessed with worse names than that, but okay. In <laughs> Veruca Salt, they're gonna hook up one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure, it's a guy, weird guy that owns some kind of. They have these orangey. Weird little midget guys. <laughs> sorry, little people. Ooh, sorry. Oh. Uh, singing a song and they fall into a vat. Back it goes into a vat of chocolate. It's like really politically not correct. Uh, yeah, you're right. Let's laugh at the fun, the fat German kid falling in the vat of chocolate. <laughs> Do those kids just die? Because you don't really see them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kind of hope so. It's like when they take, don't they take Veruca salt to get like pressed? Um, yeah, she has to be squeezed. Oh, uh. oh yeah. No, that was Violet. That's Violet. Uh, uh, Violet. Yeah. yeah. Violet. Oh, you don't see her Why do I remember her last name? Well, you never I, see her again. My mind is a scary died? thing. Maybe. Well, dad goes off to see her. Although I think. Uh, well, you don't know what Maruka, he seems she like. She goes into the like, garbage chute or something. I think she's going to be burned alive in the, you know, in the incinerator or something. Uh-huh. You know, it's funny. If you sort of break down the movies, like we were watching uh, Back to the Future. And uh, we were watching it and stuff like this. And then we were looking, you know, where, where you know, uh, uh, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I guess it's really late. But when the bad guy... Um, what's the bad guy's name in it? Oh my God, I can't think of it. Biff. 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 Yeah. Right. Now he's working in the house right now. You know when when the, when the future changed and they went to another if you however you want to do time travel and stuff like this where it's an alternate timeline but it's not. And they're like, and he's in the house and he's kind of like even you know even though he's a, a sort of wimpy sort of guy now you kind of go. You said, so wasn't he the guy that tried to rape her 
<laughs> Why is he even allowed in the house? Yeah, I guess they were a little forgiving there. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah, he, he did try to rape her, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like this. It's like little things like that. I mean, like when you, you know, when you watch the movie, you kind of go, "Oh, now now Biff is this weak kind of guy," because Michael J. Fox like laid him out. Um, so he got he got his just desserts, uh, just uh, uh, desserts because he's now this sort of you know you know wimpy kind of character. But you kind of go, "You like?" But he wasn't he like an attempt to attempt to rape him? <laughs> Why do they let him in the house? I mean, is he on a work furlough program or <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, that's probably um, one yeah, you're you best can... not thinking about too much. That's, you know, yeah, like we, the Fawn State about... and the junior high girls, you know, when, when he's 30 years old on Happy Days. Right, true. Yeah, right. Oh, that's, no, that, now, now that's in my head now. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned that on a Facebook. Book, uh, like I don't know, a few months ago, and people like were getting all mad. I'm like, I <laughs> <laughs> like I've offended the fault their memory of people's, uh, Nostalgia. <laughs> You're like, what? Really? It's it's like we were talking about Revenge of the Nerds, where he, you know, where he, you know, has sex with the, the girl, right? And, uh, and he does it under false pretenses because she thinks it's a, it's the boyfriend. Oh yeah, right, yeah, you like in, in, in the outer, happened, in, like the outer like, space thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, isn't isn't that sort of rape? Too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really but it's see. good, clean, fun rape, and that's completely different. <laughs> yeah, but I'm pretty sure if you would if you try this, like in reality, you're probably going to go to like prison. <laughs> well, I think if you were like John Goodman's like coach too, and tried to drive out a group of people, you'd probably get a little <laughs> backlash too. Yeah. It's like it's like what you could get away with. Like we were watching Blazing Saddles, and you know, mm. the one question is: is could Blazing Saddles be done now? No, because they're even it's even banned some places, and people are always trying to get it banned. It's very weird. Blazing Saddles. Yeah, yeah. People yeah, a lot, yeah, you know, a lot of young people in college, like uh, you know, they they really protest that movie. Mm. I mean, have you ever seen an old, another movie? It's called Love at First Bite. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, George Hamilton plays Dracula and... Uh, Artie Johnson's the man Artie in Artie Johnson and yeah, Benfield, right? Great. You're talking about the laughing. Like, hee, hee, hee. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. That's my laugh you at know. the end of the show is my Artie Johnson laugh. You know, and, uh, and there's a part where... Now, you know, I grew up at a certain time where you could obviously say certain things and you know my favorite line you know, my my mother's favorite line because you know my mother was, was jewish and you know and we spoke you know she spoke a little bit of yiddish a typical yiddish that new yorkers usually say and there's a part where they they mess up the, i mean do you remember the movie oh yeah at all? Yep. there's a part where it's the coffin and dracula is with Renfield, and they're like, but how did you get mixed up? And he goes, there's a dead Schwarze in there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yep. Back then, it was hysterical. Now, it's like it's like Porky's. Can you, can you do Porky's? <laughs> I've forgotten about Porky's. Yeah. There's, probably, there's like Porky's. certain 
there are certain things you could probably even go further with, but then there's stuff that uh, you couldn't, you can't, you know, there's like certain words you can't say anymore. So it's, it's strange. Yeah. Like you could probably have more sex in, in, in a movie today, but then you like uh, anything that's a little, not, I wouldn't call it racist, but any, anything that's like racial humor or ab- about like uh, the differences between the sexes or anything like that, that would be like taboo. But, you know, it's interesting because you can have shows like South Park and Family Guy mm. and other shows like this that sort of kind of, I don't know if they, they don't really, some, I mean, I guess they do it in a very intelligent way. So mm. it's not like, like, I mean, I'm sure you could say certain words, but if they use in a certain context and they're not done as degrading, they're done as a humorous or to tell the story or be part of the story. I think probably may work better than just out and out saying something mm-hmm. and just saying it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and does saying it often enough kind of lose, it makes it lose its edge. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Nah, I don't know. I mean, you know, cause certain, you know, certain shows, they still get away with certain things. Um, and I guess, I guess it becomes a familiar, like, Oh, this show's known for that or, Show's known for that. It's okay, you know, because that's the way the show is. Right. Because South Park already has its audience. If it started right now, you know, maybe it would be different. That's interesting, but it's not that long ago. Right. It doesn't but seem it, it. When it started, it was controversial, but I think if it would start today, it would be a, a lot, lot more. Especially, you know, uh, like it Big Gay Al, that kind of thing. Right. Well, I mean, right. it's like, uh, I mean, but then people too take Big Gay Al and like, uh, you know, maybe he's not offensive to certain. I don't know. I guess it depends on because they're not necessarily making fun of gay people with, with Big Gay Al. It's just a character. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, because then I because I heard people, you know, when when people was, were were quoting lines of Big Gay Al. They were quoting the quoting lines, and they were gay men, and they were quoting lines from it. So, like this was a certain amount of acceptance mm. because they they knew that the context of which it was being shown, it wasn't trying to be insulting. It's just, well, let's have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just recently, um, during Pride Month in Boston, uh, they they were selling all different rainbow shirts and stuff, and they were selling. Uh, I actually have a, I bought a pair. I'm not wearing them right now, but I bought a pair of like big gay Al uh, boxer shorts. They were nice. so surprising. Pretty. <laughs> you, you got the most amazing shorts. <laughs> you really do. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Must be. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to get a. Uh, hopefully, a Santa will bring me one. I want to get a. Um, sewing machine to 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 uh tailor in some of my shirts from you know previous years because they're too big for me now mm. and i hate to that just part with kind of a great idea yeah you, you don't throw them away you just make them you change them or you maybe take a yeah. fabric from each one of them and you make a shirt out of it yeah there's lots of things i was i've been watching a youtube you know, nowadays you can watch tutorials just about anything on youtube that's you true know, right? You'd have to go like buy a book or go to like take a course, but now you can just go on YouTube and look at what video. Drag queen. I've never seen so many people that can sew. 
if if you ever watch like RuPaul's Drag Race, they those people like that are on that show are amazing at just they'll jump on a sewing machine and make something in fifteen minutes. I'm like, how the hell do you do that? It just amazes me. Can they teach me how to fix my dryer? <laughs> I don't, that might be a different show. I don't know. <laughs> no, I did. I did. Uh, I did take home Mac, and I made a, a duffel bag in the seventh grade. Nice. So it's time oh, to re- return to that. Uh, and then I always remember this. So, so you, you had to go. Bring, you had to get your own fabric. So we went down to the fabric store. And I got uh, this probably date date like you know when I went to school, but uh, it was red acid wash denim. Nice was the fabric I bought to uh, to make a uh, a duffel bag, and then I used the duffel. It was pretty sweet, and I used the duffel bag for my uh, gym clothes. So I had like you know my uh, uh, shorts and like a shirt and 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 silver Nike sneakers in it. And someone stole it out of my gym locker. They stole, they stole my silver Nikes. I don't really care that they stole, stole my shorts. I'm not sure why they'd want to steal those. But but it was very disheartening. They stole my silver Nikes and my red acid wash duffel bag that I made. But that's a very unique bag. How could they not? How could they get away with that? Would they, would they that's true. They it? could never really wear it or use it anywhere. Because be like, hey, wait a minute, that's my duffel bag, dude. Yeah, true. It's like it's like when someone stole the original Freddy glove. I'm like, who are you going to show <laughs> the yeah. that glove to? I was wondering that about when like people steal like you know priceless like you know art like one of a kind art. Like, what do you do with it? Oh yeah. I remember it was really deep underground, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, because at like the Gardner Museum, somebody had stolen like a, and it was a gigantic thing. It was like a 15 foot tall uh, painting by John Singer Sargent. And it's like, what are you really going to do with that, dude? I don't really understand. Would he hide under his jacket or something? That's a good question. I don't know how, like, you know, if somebody doesn't see you carving out this, you know, monstrous frame and, and like to roll it up because, you know, if you're if you're rolling up like a throw rug at your house and it's 15 feet, that's, that's a pretty big ass thing to try to maneuver around. I, I know how they did it. They had three kids oh. and they were on each other's shoulders and they uh. had a long ass jacket. And they snuck it, and they took it out, and they all walked out together. That's how they did it. All right. Or a group of dogs, maybe. (laughs) He let the dogs out. (laughs) (laughs) That that won a um, a costume contest a few years ago. uh, I go to its annual 12-hour movie marathon, and they have a, a costume contest. And the one year it was just these two guys like sitting on each other's shoulders with uh with a trench coat. It was like really lame. Like it's kind of funny, but like I don't. It shouldn't have won best costume out of like you know thirty people. But it, it went by crowd reaction, and everyone just kept cheering. Man, I, I think we always get screwed at those because remember when we did our Frankenstein setup, and yeah. and the people that won like, and we spent a long time doing like our. I, I did the whole Dwight Fry um, Fritz thing. I was walking with the limp and everything. Had the hunch on my back. 
and Neil was the monster and um and our former co-host she was she was Dr. Frankenstein and people one that were just walking around with a mask they bought at like CVS or something yeah like a, like a robot or something I was just like what like doesn't make any probably sense probably uh, well you know and, if you think about the you think about the guys that had each other on the on each other's shoulders hmm? they brought in double the audience ah yep and last year there was a guy who was dre- and it was so awesome because it was right when we were putting out these shirts and he was dressed as the robot monster. He had the, you know, the, the mask. <laughs> no way. In a gorilla oh, suit. Oh, and he made this. Tell me that. That's oh, bad. It was, it was awesome. And the, the, the host of the thing, who I normally like, but he just seemed like, like he thought it sucked. And like, even though it got cheered, he kicked him off. And I was just like, oh, I don't get this. Like, mm. I think he was taking out like his disdain of the movie <laughs> on this guy's costume. His costume was awesome. No personal feelings. <laughs> yeah, it's like, ah, oh, that movie sucks. Speaking but of it was like, so, so guys got network great. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I really, I really dig them. Uh, I have a couple myself. I think Troy does too. Yep. Yeah, these have been a lot of fun. This is, um, I, I just finished a new one tonight. I'm going to give it to Neil the color tomorrow. And, uh, I've been trying to remember the monsters. Well, they're all kind of like classic, uh, like right. old role playing game monsters. Yeah, there's a, there's a bullet, and these are all inspired, so we don't get too right. Bullet, right. Uh, gelatinous cube. Uh, mimic was that called the mimic yeah. or something. The mimic. Yeah, that's that thing that's a treasure chest opening up. Treasure chest. Right? Yeah. Uh, the what about a beholder? You're gonna behold. Uh, that's yeah. gonna be my final one. You're reading my mind. Mm. My one tonight is the Mind Flayer. I can't wait to like unveil oh, that sucker. I remember that one. That was always one of my favorite monsters. Unless unless you were a player, though, because you, you get like this creature that sticks a tentacle in your ear and pulls your brain out in two rounds. And no fun at all. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's great because we're going back to the nostalgia thing. Cause how many, exactly. You know... You should try to think about those shirts going to some of those role playing stores. They still have, they still around. Like another one in, in the Manhattan still around. The complete sculpture that's still around. Oh, okay. You should yeah, maybe I don't look know, into that. Uh, I don't know how many are around here. I don't. I don't there's really not many around us. Then nail the the whatever it's called. It's always weird when you go in there, though, because it's always like a bunch of lonely guys, and they want people to play games with them. And they're like, hey, what games are you into? I'm like, well, you know, I play some uh, Blood Bowl and some of this and that. Oh, well, you know, on Tuesday nights we do this. No, nah, I'm good. I don't need any friends. I just need, you know, <laughs> this figure. That's all I really need, man. That's funny. Well, There's this place in Boston. Uh, you go on. Sorry. No, 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 you go. You go first, please. please. I was just say this is place that uh, we went to in Boston, Brookline. I say Boston. It's near Boston, and it was called Night Moves, and it's night with a K, like a, you know, a night like in chess. And mm-hmm. so you go in there, and it's kind of neat because they have all these old board games and newer board games, and you can play them. You can just sit around and play them and drink coffee and stuff. But then you look, and like you get charged by the hour to sit there, and like like I get I get it like in a way, but. 
at the same time, it's like, I don't want to sit here and pay 20 bucks an hour. To, uh, <laughs> yeah, that kind of sucks. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there was like, uh, it's like go ahead, go ahead, please. No, you go, no, what were you going to say? Well, you know, years ago, I, I used to work at that store, The Complete Strategist, and I used to go to it. I was, before I worked there, that's where I used to get all my Dungeons and Dragons, paraphernalia, and all the other role-playing games. And when you're talking about the type of people that would, would go to these places or, or in, uh, there at the, when my first girlfriend, you know, she was a looker, you know, and so when I would come into the store with her, the guy at the register would actually leave the register and follow us through the store. <laughs> he had, he, he liked my girlfriend. He had a crush and we would talk to each, you know, me and my girlfriend would talk. She's like, I think the guy, the guy, you know, I, I think he likes you. He keeps following. And then one day we walked in and the owner of the store comes out and goes like, why are you at the back of the store? Get back to your register. He's moving. <laughs> I'm laughing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I understand because sometimes you go to these places and they kind of look like some of these people would kind of talk to you and you're like, no, um, and you kind of like, don't want to feel bad, but you kind of go, uh, no, I'm going to go home to my, my life. <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't know, want to paint it, with a broad brush and say everybody in the place is like that, but there were a few of them. Because every yeah. time I go in there, it's the same thing. And, and I'm like, no, no, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, when with another person years ago, this guy starts talking to her. And he's saying like, oh, I was on an adventure and I did this and I was a plus two paladin and I did all this stuff and talking to her and stuff. Like this. And then he leaves and she looks at me he's like, what the fuck was he talking about? <laughs> I have no idea what he was talking about. I said, well, I'll tell you honestly, you're in a, you're, you don't look like you belong in the game. <laughs> so that's why he came to talk to you. And he's like, I have no idea what, I don't play this game. I have no idea what he's talking about. I said, it didn't matter to him. Yep. Yep. You, you just like I talked to a girl today. <laughs> I know here, here but let's see, we all ran that 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 path at one time in our lives, I'm sure. But yeah, do you guys still play anymore? I, I wish, yeah, I wish we did, but it's just so difficult to get like everybody together and you know find a night that everybody's free and stuff. Well, I send Neil the books, a photo a photo of all of my old. D&D gear that I still have. Oh, nice. Yeah. I still have the old deities and demigods that had the the Cthulhu mythos. Oh, no. You had the one with with the Morcock ones, too? Elric and everybody? Yeah. The, the oh. Yeah. 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 See, I have we ever had that one. No. Yeah, I was going to say, I know we had, we had it, but we didn't it, they didn't have uh, Elric and stuff. In. I, I think they had just taken it out. I think like Morcock had just sued or something. Because that was the other one. I couldn't remember what was the other mythology they had taken out. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So they had like Arioch and Elric. And... There's a guy I'd love to like have a coffee with is Michael Moorcock. He's just like just a wild dude. You know, you, you see him like playing with these crazy heavy metal bands. And then he's writing like all these like insane books and stuff. And I think he's the only guy in Britain that like is an anti- uh, uh, Tolkien guy. 
you know, like, and, and people get like so offended because he's like, uh, no, nah, fuck Tolkien because, you know, like everything is just so unbelievable because everything's so British and, and he's British. And he's like, you know, oh, well, the orcs are at the gates. And once we have our tea, then we'll worry about that. Let's not get all worked up quite yet. You know, and it's like, well, when you think about it, he's right. And don't get me wrong, because I love Lord of the Rings and stuff, but but he is right. Yeah, like, would they really do that? Would they stop for a spot of tea before they... <laughs> Stomp the gates of Mordor. Right, right. You know, like, and you can buy it maybe in The Hobbit because it's more like, you know, kind of a kid book, but. Right. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I kind of see his point, but people get, like, all offended by that. Well, it's like, like you were saying, you guys are saying how people are like, that guy should never do a movie again. He doesn't know what he's like. <laughs> Someone said that about Greg Lamberson. They said he should, you know, when they were review, when someone reviewed uh, Johnny Gruesome, and they're like, mm-hmm. he should never make a movie again, and he doesn't know what he's doing, and it's just like, you, you had said, and you, you point this out so many times to you guys, they're like, why are you so angry? You don't like the movie? Don't worry, then don't see the movie. Why should he stop making movies because you're don't like uh-huh. it? Yep. Like yeah. you're like you're the person who should be like, oh, only. You know, only movies that I like are the only movies that should be made. <laughs> no other movies should be made because I don't like it. You know, True. it's just like yeah. calm the fuck down, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're angry at your mom because she didn't, you know, make your favorite stew, I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah, it's you know? kind of like, well, that's why there's more than one, you know, station on TV. There's all kinds of shit out there to watch. Yeah. No, I get turn the damn channel. <laughs> yep. You don't like that? Yeah, I was, don't buy it. Yep. Yeah, I always hate it when people are wanting to wanting to boycott anything or say something should be made. And it's just like just don't watch it. Yep. Like I, I ended up seeing this new uh the new Fast and Furious spin-off <laughs> movie. I've never seen. You lucky <laughs> bastard. It's not my kind of movie, but like, I'm not going to say, like, they should just stop be ma- being made. Like, obviously, there's people out there. Who them, <coughs> whatever. They like them. I don't care. Yeah. I'm going to make fun of them a little bit. But, at, you know, at the other day, oh, it's yeah. not like I'm going to go in some tirade saying, like, that they should be stopped. <laughs> Transformers. Well, movie, I don't know. Maybe certainly should stop. stop. <laughs> you know, please. Uh, well, you know what? You know, if you hate yourself, that's fine. But. Why do we have to share your 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 agito? We don't need your pain. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> you know. Um, no, but it's it's true. It's just like so many people are so. I mean, obviously, because you could be a faceless a faceless entity, internet, where you could say what you want, and you could be that guy or that person who could say all these nasty things for the sake of saying it, as opposed to really being truthful behind it, mm. and it's. It's just so, it's just like, but, you know, just, just relax, you know, <laughs> yeah, life's you know, too take short. a hit, relax, you know, yep. you know, go, yep. go, 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 go take a token, relax, man. <laughs> you know, a spot of tea before you. Throw, <laughs> yeah, before you, know. you start. The... <laughs> yes. Right, or or, or, or have way. a Twix bar before you go and start <laughs> shouting anger stuff and think about it. <laughs> 
Well, it is on far in years. I want one. It is a thing on the internet that it's either like complete hatred, like just it's the worst thing ever and should never be made, or just the best thing ever. It's never like just ah, oh, that wasn't that good. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you're an yeah, asshole if you didn't like this movie or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, so, so like, wasted, you know, January, 90 minutes of my life. Best movie of the year. <laughs> yeah. I always, it always annoys me people say it wasted, you know, whatever amount of time of your life. And it's just like, like let's be honest, what were you going to do with those, you know, <laughs> 75 minutes? Yeah. Were you going to yeah. cure cancer or something? Nah, it's, nah, it's like, okay, does that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, sometimes it could be pretty funny depending on the context of how they say it. Right, you know? right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it, it's like, how many movies have you seen that have said this is the scariest movie of the year and it's oh. like December yeah. 2nd, no, sorry, January 2nd? <laughs> you know, it's the it like the, the, last, the last few years, it's always the scariest movie of all time. And I was like, you know, like, you don't have to hype something up that much. Like, it could just be a really good movie. Why does it have to be the scariest movie ever made? Oh, yeah. Because like, it never is. I know that's what they said about The Witch and It Follows and Babadook and Hereditary and all these movies. <laughs> and it's like, can't you just say you really liked it? Why does that have to be the scariest movie you've ever seen? Yeah, and then show yeah, the, like clips the, like the, the clips of, like, the clips of the... The, the audience and some guys passing out and two people right. are freaking out, running out of the room and stuff. Yeah. When they do that, I know the movie, the movie sucks. The yeah, movie exactly. Sucks. <laughs> Whenever they they don't that, even I'm like, oh, here's, here's 50. Thank you so much for saying <laughs> um, I was going, no, that movie, like you talk about the movie Cats. I can't tell you how much, <laughs> how many people in my, in the makeup and hair world are going like, did you see this thing? <laughs> and we're like looking at it, we're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and we're like, what? Why? Why? You know, I mean, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I saw Cats on Broadway. It was a really funny story. It's like uh, two, fr- two friends of my wife came in from Japan and they wanted to go see a play, so they wanted to see Cats. First day they come from Japan, of course, you have that 14-hour ahead thing. So Thursday, 8 o'clock, it's Friday, another time. So it's 14 hours ahead. So we went to go see Cats. I'm watching Cats. And if you, but I know you talked about this, I think, the last week. You're talking about your, you know, how you, you, you feel about Cats. Um, <laughs> Not the real cats, but cats, and right. of course they do memories like three times, four times in the in the, mm. in the play, because uh, you're talking about Weber and all that stuff. And I turn, and those two ladies are, are unconscious; they're passed out sleeping. <laughs> and I'm like, that's seventy five dollars for each one of you. That that's a hundred fifty dollars. I hope you're gonna enjoy this nap. They were out cold. <laughs> and I'm watching this play, and I'm like, how could this be? How could this be playing? What other shit is on Broadway <laughs> that is what is that is? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. uh, you know. And I always thought it was really funny. It's like because those guys are wearing those skin tight music cards. Oh, and yeah. I thought to myself, what would be funny if they had old timers day at Cats, and you got these guys in wheelchairs and they're fat <laughs> and they're all that excited. <laughs> they don't. They're not in shape anymore. But yeah, the the, the movie. I'm like. I mean, the song is great. I do like the rendition of the song. Mm-hmm. But 
you're looking at cats with breasts <laughs> and you're like, why couldn't they just put them in makeup? Yeah. I don't quite understand why. I mean, they did it for the cat in the hat. Yep. Uh, and he was a physical entity <laughs> yep. there to interact with the other actors. Why couldn't you do I mean, of course, to me, I'm obviously saying in my mind, they're like, probably because how much it would cost in time alone to put each one of those actors in a makeup. And I said, well, they did it for the Grinch. Yeah. They got an yeah, army. You think about all the ooze and everything in that. Yeah. And they, and they, they did that. And some, 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 some person who has some connection to a CGI company says, Oh, we'll go do it all CGI. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the actors could just do their thing and we'll just CGI their faces. Uh, onto these these bodies and i'm like unless they it's like sonic did you see the thing about sonic the hedgehog oh yeah yeah. yep that um and then the people were mad about it so they're redoing it oh are they really i agree yeah that's funny i totally agree i mean why not just make him look like just make him look like people know him as i don't quite understand why next week it to make him look like a person i'm like he's He's a fucking animated <laughs> video game hedgehog. Why does he got to look like a human being? Yeah. A human face. I'm like, that's freaky. Uh-huh. It's not going to look, it's going to look, it's going to look freaky. It's like putting a human face. It's like, it's like, it's funny. My, 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 uh, eldest, who was when he was really small, he liked trains, but he didn't like Thomas, the tank engine all that much. Oh, okay. Because he's like, because the trains have faces. Trains don't have faces. <laughs> so it would freak him out a little bit. Uh, he Later on, he got used to it, but it was just pretty funny when the first one he goes like, the train has a face. <laughs> but it's like, why not? Why, you know, why do you change it? Just make him look like Sonic. Yeah. Why not just put your actors in makeup? Because, you know, you obviously got this ensemble of great actors to do this movie, Cats. Mm. Why are you submerging them into a CGI thing. You know, yeah, I mean, obviously some of them can't dance. Well, the professional dancer that's been doing it for so many years can do it. Um, then why, then why, you know what I mean? It's, it's like the choices that people make. and It's just like, and then, I mean, in some ways I'm very thankful for the internet kind of saying, <laughs> that was like, you know, I, I think I'd rather, you know, wipe my ass with a, a porcupine than watch this. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, thing. Uh, I didn't even realize Idris Elba's in, in Cats. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I might be doing a, a sh- something with him coming up soon. Oh, oh really? sweet. Yeah, I, I, did, uh, I did something for this next thing he's doing. I mean, I don't know if I'll see him on set. Like, I'm not doing him. I'm not. I mean, sure, there's a lot of people like to do him, but I'm not doing him. <laughs> um, yeah, but I. I, I Painted a dummy to uh, to be in this uh, movie thing he's doing. Oh, I'm not gonna give too much away, but oh, that's so bad. <laughs> oh, that's pretty awesome, though. But that's but you might get you might get more respect out of you, Troy, because oh, oh what is, yeah. He's well. He's he's kind of he's virgin on man crush for me. I love love me some Idris. No, so you working on you working on you working on cats too. Cats too. <laughs> the, the cats revenge. too. Yep. 
the cats all become feral and like attack people. I'd want to have. It's like, it's like a, was it Lord of the Flies cat style? Yeah. The, oh, I love that. That's a great idea. They're supposed to make it a new Lord Lord of the Flies. Are they really? Yeah. Which in theory is good because I I I don't think any of the movies have really captured the book. So it would be cool. Really? Like, I thought some of them are fine. It's pretty close. It's, it's, it's pretty good, but yeah. I don't think any of them are nearly as good as the book. No. I mean, is it really? I mean, it can't be that you know. Well, even with Frankenstein, mm. none of them have you know really come close. Or Dracula. Yeah. As if you if you ever read Bram Stoker's Dracula, he dies completely different. In the mo- in in the book that he does in any of the movies, mm-hmm. and I remember that being like, oh, that's kind of a letdown in terms of the way that he, he dies in the book. But has any of them ever come? I mean, they take pieces of it. Only one, well, maybe a few of the movies had him climbing up the wall, Dracula climbing up the wall. And yeah, I always loved that. I think I, I think at least the Langella one. I think he does that. He does, and I think he also does one in the in the Hammer one. There's a Hammer one where he oh yeah, I think you're right. Yep, there is yep. one like that, but none of them have ever really truly done no. the book. You know, well, it's kind of like I Am Legend, you know, the old Matheson story. Like, you 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 got three different movies, and none of the movies are really like each other, and none of them really grab what the book no, is, and none of them capture the ending, which makes the whole. <laughs> the, the name of the book, I Am Legend, makes sense. Yep. And all none of them none of them do the same ending, which is the main part of the book, which is yep. weird. And I actually well, like all three movies. Uh, they're completely different. Oh, so do I. I yep. but, but, uh, well, yeah, I worked on the last book. one. The one with... Um, oh, Will the Smith. Will Smith one, yep. Yeah, I worked on that. I liked it. You want I mean, to like stories about it? Yes. Would you guys like to hear some stories about yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. Well... They were there, you know. They were in New York, uh, and there was a, another makeup artist named Christian Tinsley, Oscar winner, uh, technical Oscar winner for a t- type of makeup stuff. And he was in charge of putting the zombie people. The what, what were they? What, I forgot to call, but they those those the transformed humans. Yeah. And what they would do is there was a, all this prep work, and what what happened is you'd have all these actors come in, very tall, slim actors, men and women, and they all had to be bald. So the women were paid and all the men were paid to, uh, paid, were paid to shave their heads. And they were on a stipend to keep their heads shaved and their faces shaved for as long as was necessary. So they were getting money to this. And they would come in and they would wear like a dance skin, this very skin-tight uh, some of them were like a dance game. And what we would do is Christian Tinsley had a series of body pieces and already made, like almost like armor, like putting together like a sort of armor. Mm-hmm. And we would attach which one would fit each of these actors, you know, literally onto their body. So we were, we were creating the suits on the physical actor. And we would do everything out of silicone, match it onto silicone, and we would do all the bodies, and then the faces were makeup. And we were doing that for a couple of weeks in New York, and then, unfortunately, my, my wife's father turned ill, ended up, you know, uh, leaving us. So I spent about two and a half months 
in, in Japan to be with her and then came back. Well, no, I'm sorry, but I wasn't there, but she was there for two and a half months. I think I came back after two weeks or something like that, three weeks, and came back only to find out that they've gotten rid of all the physical, all the physical effects. So all the actors were out and they were going to go completely digital with all the, uh, the, the other things. Damn. Cause that's my biggest problem with the movie is that like all the, the mutant people are, Mm. you know, just so similar, like, you know, computer, you know, CGI. I I think it's just because they couldn't, you know, it's one of those, I think it's one of those situations where there were a lot of cooks and Mm. one person would like, like at first they were sort of like a very ashy, bony kind of color. Mm-hmm. And then they said they were having issues when they were filming them that they couldn't exactly see all the details. So they all got sort of a wash to bring out some of the details uh, in the suits because they were pretty nicely. They were very detailed. Um, I'd like to see and those. Then, and then I don't even know if they even exist, any mm-hmm. of these images at all. And then like when I was away, they started putting more browns on them to try to bring out more of it. So they went from like a sort of a chalky white. We would throw like ash powder on them to almost more of a browner skin type of character to try to bring some of the details out. That's what I heard. So when I came back into into New York, I called the woman who was running the department and I was uh, uh, the background department. I said, so I'm back to work. And she goes, well, that's good. We don't have any more work because I decided to go CGI with all the, all the, all the things. Oh, so there's some trivia for you guys about what that's happened to that. And, you know, it, you know, it, it, it's just, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what happens sometimes. You work really, really hard. We were talking about this before. You work really, really hard on something. You're, you're doing this contest. You work really, really hard on something. You bust your nut for it. And then someone just goes, eh, we're going to do something else. And you're like, fuck. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, no. Uh, uh, Dave Deadman. Want to give a shout out to him, our boy Dead Dave Deadman. Is he's a, a listener for years, but he's not around uh, social media anymore. But he sent a text message. Uh, do you think if they had a multi-episode series of Dracula, ten one-hour episodes, they could tell the story more accurately? Always uh, wanted to see a version of. Of uh, a stand, what? Oh, sorry, I've always wanted to see a version of, say, the stand done in that fashion with proper budget. Feel like with all the streaming services looking for content and willing to give it a budget, it could be something interesting for a long-awaited, longer story. Oh hell yeah, that right. sounds awesome. I would think so. I mean, if you could, if you could do it. It, it, I think the problem is, is you get, you know, some stories that were written in the 1800s were pretty, probably really exciting in the 1800s, mm-hmm. but in 2019, they may not. I mean, have you ever read World of the Worlds? Oh, yeah. The real world of Worlds? Yep. Yeah, I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like, yep. you read it and you kind of go, well, that's kind of like the, so some things I can, like, you know, uh, the audiences back then could probably be more scared of certain things mm. now that we, you know, things have changed and stuff. So I, I can say in some places, yes, but I, 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 you know what I mean? I think, I think people have changed. Like if, if you, if, if I make a point, like with makeup, 
um, and I, we were, I was talking this with somebody, like when you saw like the old John Aston, uh, Roy Aston makeups that he did on uh, Christopher Lee for the Curse of Frankenstein. Mm. And if you look at that image in your head or looking at a book, if you kind of look at it as sort of a makeup-y sort of thing, looking at the way things are now, you kind of go, that looks, doesn't, that doesn't look so good. <laughs> and, you know, when, when, when there was that one thing when me and Jeremy and, and Anthony were talking about what's a favorite makeup and my favorite ma- makeup will be the, the Father Marin character from The Exorcist because you believe he was an old man. Mm-hmm. He didn't look like a guy in makeup. So when you look at way back when, where they had like, you know, Ilsa, she was of the SS and all these over the top monster creatures and that, like even I was a teenage Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. And if you look at those makeups, you kind of go, you know what I mean? Like if, if you look at, and so could, could they do a 10, a, a 10 hour Dracula? Of course they can. Could they do it playful to the book? Sure they can, but would people like it because that was written, you know, when it was written, and it's different now. Yeah, that's true. You'd you'd have to kind of like, I think you'd have to jazz it up a little bit. So even then you're changing it. Yeah, you're right. You wouldn't be completely faithful, yeah. I mean, I I, I, I mean, it's hard to, to, you know, you know, can you, I'm like, yeah, you can, Mm. but would people sit there and watch 10, 10 episodes? I mean, I I guess you could try. There might be someone, of course. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It'd probably Um, be easier to do with the stand, you know, where the source material is so massive anyway. Right. Well, we have some new uh, series now where each each season is its own story arc where they don't where they're not a continuing story, you know, like a, oh, um, yeah. American Horror Story stuff. That would and be interesting terror. if you. Yeah. Yeah. If you did like you did a show, you know, about classic monsters. And so the first season is Frankenstein and the second season is Dracula. And then the third oh, season is World that would World so World, be the target audience. Yeah. Yeah, they can they can they can try to reboot the dark universe again. <laughs> yeah, don't bother trying to do that. Just each, each season is its own story and and then done with. Well, yeah, I mean they used to do all the all those radio dramas mm. that that were you know tied to one character, one story. Uh, I mean, I you know with streaming services, there probably is. I'm sure. I mean. You know, there's hundreds of things going on that, I mean, I mean, these, these books have been around for for centuries. Right. I mean, hopefully I'm not, you know, sounding dumb by saying centuries. They've been around for the Bible. <laughs> um, but, uh, and there's an audience for it. There definitely is an audience for it. Uh, but can you truly be truthful to the tale, which was written you know, a hundred years ago, we'll say, I mean, I'm, I might be totally wrong with my math, you know, with the dating of the books. And I apologize for that. But can you get away? It's, it's like dark shadows. Like if they show dark shadows now. Yeah, I didn't realize you, how many episodes of that there were. You know, they just watched on DVD. There was, it's called the master of dark shadows. And it's about oh. Dan Curtis. It's on DVD. Uh huh. 
and it's really good because I have all you know all the all the living all the people that are still alive, nice. uh, the, the 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 cast members, and <laughs> they talked about it. They even talked about the fuck ups that happened on the show and. <laughs> Them saying, did you just see that thing? And Dan Curtis goes, it's all right, it's fine, let's move on. Like he, he was like the Ed Wood almost, and says, let's fine, let's move on. Okay. Well, that sounds good. I'll have to look for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 called the I think it's called the Master of Dark Shadows or the King of Dark Shadows. It's something along okay. those lines. Um, but it's 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 great because you know it's it's a documentary of well dark shadows. Mm-hmm. And they even have the Dick Smith. Old age makeups for when they did the two movies. Oh, okay. And how Jonathan Frick became like a sex symbol. Then you know people were adoring him, and the guy that played uh, the werewolf character. Oh yeah, uh, yep. yeah. They, they Long before it. Twilight. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, and then they tried to do that like three times. Dark Shadows. I know they made a movie, obviously, but I think they did it at least twice. Yeah, I remember the one, it was either late 70s, early 80s that they tried to kind of do again. And the, each episode left you on a big cliffhanger. Right. I remember they tried to re, re, bring back the Night Stalker. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because oh, I love that show. I, that oh, show was man. so good. Um, I don't know if you can up. go back to it. I, I haven't watched them in years, so I don't know if, like, if they're as good as, as like I remember them being, well, yeah, I mean, I, I've I've watched them since that time, and you can kind of see some of the stuff being a little, a little dated. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the stuff is amazing. Like, there's the one, the one with the vampire girl when she's one of the original victims from the first movie. Oh wow! When the Night Stalker, yeah, they have another vampire, female vampire. That's a good episode because she's not meek. She like jumps on people. Oh, okay. I don't remember awesome. that one. Which was awesome because that's like wow. Because you know she's an she's a ravenous animal, mm-hmm. and they had her crawling out of the grave. It was really cool, and it, nice. and it ties to the original the original movie. Mm-hmm. And and of course you know Davin McGat, excuse me, Darren McGavin, and um, the interaction between him and. Um, Oh, his the boss editor. was so good. Yeah, I can't remember that guy's name, but he was great yeah, on the show. And, and, I mean, the two of them, and, and actually, uh, what's interesting is a lot of the, when he kept calling the guy uptight instead of updike, um, <laughs> they're all really good. They're really, really good at it. And um, and some of it was, I mean, some of it's downright scary for the 70s, because mm-hmm. Curtis did that too, Dan Curtis did that too. Um, but if you kind of watch it now and, I'll be honest, which I, I kind of put it on. It's they're, they're free on YouTube. Okay, I'll have to check them out then. Because uh, yeah. I love the zombie one. I remember that one always mm-hmm. stuck out with me, where he had to sew the zombie's mouth up with salt in it, and he was just like time. McGavin's all freaking out while he's doing it. His hands are all shaky and stuff. I think, and, and I know they did try to resurrect, but they called it Koshak. Oh, okay. And it was a totally different sort of. I mean, I remember it was something like he um, he was like his wife was killed. Koshak's wife was killed. He's a much younger guy in the in the new version, and he try and now he's hunting things. It's, it's a little weird, mm. uh, like version. I don't think it really went past the pilot. Okay, at all. 
but if you look it up, you'll see it was just called Kolchak. And it's, I mean, I don't know if he dressed like him or looked like him because I didn't really see any images, but they try to resurrect it. All right. So if you had the hat anyway, I'd be happy. Oh, yeah. Always had the, the bitch hat. hat. The blue, the blue, yeah. the blue, the blue blazer? Or, <laughs> yeah. Or the, or the blue shirt. I can't remember. I think it was a blazer, but it's been a long time. Yeah, but he drove a Mustang, right? Yeah. Yep. I think everybody did in the 70s. Uh, any 70s show, somebody had a stang. They could try. They could try. But, yeah, I mean, some, some things do, I think, kind of, you know, can be redone and redone, you know, differently. And I'm, I'm not against reboots. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you're like, why do you, you know, why are they remaking it? Because, yeah, I know you guys have mentioned that before, but, like, why are they, why are they rebooting that one? You know, mm. why are they... It was so good for what it was. Yeah. Uh, what's the point? But new audience, new thing. I mean, you said it before. Like some people talking about Star Wars, like like they've mm. never heard of it before, or Star <laughs> yeah, Trek, like, like they've yeah. never heard of it. Oh yeah. Yeah, you never know. Like with things like that. Did you guys end up watching um, Nosferatu? I have not. No, I have not. Because I, I wanted to get your old age makeup take on that, because I I thought the the old old vampire makeup they did on Jeremy Quinto I thought was really really good. I'll have and, to look for it. I think I saw somewhere I might have seen something about it, but I have to look at it again. Okay, because like uh, mine mine is an untrained eye, but I, I it looked cool to me. And then they well, did a lot of really it. neat like CG like going from young to old and vice versa that looked really cool. Hmm. I mean, I mean, you could like, you may not have to, you may not like, someone who's not a makeup artist may not necessarily have like a trained eye, but mm-hmm. you know what, you know what's not right. It's yeah, like, yeah, if it looks uh, goofy. I mean, I, I can't call it art, but I know what I like. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, true. You can kind of go, something's off. <laughs> But I thought they I thought they did a real good job with him because even his hands had that like great like creepy old look to him and stuff. That's awesome when they do that because lots of times they'll do a face but they won't do a neck and they won't do hands. Oh yeah, and then they'll drive you crazy. Like come on now. And they'll, then they'll scratch their head and you're like, wow, those are like twenty year old hands. <laughs> yep. And I think part of it, like he kind of he kind of did a good job standing character because he had like that arthritic look where a couple fingers were twisted up and stuff. Mm. That's like that's like Carradine's hand, like John Carradine's hand. Oh after yeah, he got older. Mm. Yeah, his hands are gnarly. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he always reminded me of like um, like sometimes when you'd see those Bernie Wrights in pen and inks. And he'd have mm-hmm. those like crazy gnarly hands, and I think I think Carradine really had those hands. Yeah, it's like the artist drawing power into the hands, but they. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. There was there was an old, I don't know if you can find it on anywhere, but there was it was a series of like it came from Hollywood. It's it's a it's a it's a whole compilation of old seventies trailers. Oh wow! From like horror movies to black exploitation films to romantic things, and in between the segments, 
is John Carradine, David Carradine, and the other Carradine, the other son. Oh, yeah. His name I can't remember. His first I name. can't think of and, either. Uh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny? It's like, what's the other Carradine's name? <laughs> but it, it's, it, if you could find it, it's called It Came From Hollywood. And it's just this whole collection of all these 70s exploitation um, uh, trailers. And some of them are outrageous. Oh, that's awesome. You know, just the trailers alone are probably better than the movies. Yeah. Like, you know, Dolomite, <laughs> Human Tornado, and Tanya's Island, and uh, all these. Like, you see, and, and it's what's funny is like you never realize how many fucking movies came out oh, yeah. in a year. Yeah, some like, of my, I, I'd see the trailers at like the drive in, and then the movies would never come out. Like, or if they did, they never came to our neck of the woods. I mean, it's funny now with all the trailers that happen before a big movie now. It's like, oh, we got to go see the movie. Don't worry. There'll be like a half hour trailers. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't need to see a movie now. And it's like, oh, the trailer. The movie's going to start. Oh, it's a trailer. <laughs> oh, movie's gonna start. oh, it's a trailer. Said, oh. Yeah, they show like 20, 20 minutes, a half hour of trailers before movies mm-hmm. now. So, like, even if I always, you know, I always try to be on time. But even if you're late now, it's like, well, I get. That does mess up the, like, because I'll, you know, if I plan out, like, if I want to see multiple movies in a day, you oh, have to, yeah. you know, plan that, you know, this movie starts, let's say, one thirty, but it's really not going to start to one fifty at least. <laughs> you know, and that's an extra 20 minutes. So, you know, if you plan on seeing another movie in two hours, you know, you might, you know, you might not be able to do it because you've got to have to watch all. Yeah. And the problem is you go to the other movie and it's the same trailers. <laughs> yeah that's a thing too because like i actually like trailers but then when i i usually see three movies a week with uh move with not movie pass but the amc stub club and, and uh and after a while i'm like yeah i've seen this trailer now like <laughs> like eight times <laughs> well then when three they get multiple trailers for the same movie and each one's like four minutes long and they show you 90 percent of the movie between three trailers Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to go see the movie now. I'm good. Right. I mean, I went to go see Cabin. I went to go see Cabin Boy based on the trailer. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Cabin Boy. I like a fancy lad. Letterman, Letterman steals the movie. Yeah. yeah. And you like Tank Girl, too? I'm not a fan of Tank Girl. <laughs> but I know a lot of people uh, love it. Yeah, I guess. The only thing that was cool is Ice Ice T was in it. Oh yeah, yep. And I I did Law and Order Rest for You, and I have a book called The Winston Effect, which is all about Stan Winston and his shop. And they have some pictures of uh, Ice T in it as one of the stompers or rompers. What do they call them? The kangaroo guys. Oh. <laughs> uh, don't matter. Whatever fuck they they call those dudes. Kangaroo angry kangaroo dudes. It's not like this, but. There's a picture of him in the makeup, and I brought it in. I'm like, can you sign it? He's like, yeah, I'll sign it. <laughs> he signed it where his picture was. And people are like, wow. And people looking at it, they're like, you, you did that? That's you? He goes, yeah, that's me. They're like, I didn't even know you did that. <laughs> goes, yeah, well, we all got to start somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You guys get something else? I don't know. I'm, 
I know we could talk forever, but I'm not sure what I could. Well, yeah, well, actually, we should probably get to uh, our our second yeah. guest here, tonight, Gary okay. Kent. Okay. Who's, uh, who's awesome, and but it's very cool to have you here. This will be the last live show until I get back from Buffalo and Chicago. So we'll be back uh, September 5th will be the next live show, I believe. You know, September 5th. Okay. And uh, we will actually have uh, Jill Six will return on the program. I've already got a lot of guests booked for September. Uh, Jill Six will return. Nicholas Vince will return from nice. Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2. We'll have uh, the makers of bad CGI sharks. <laughs> I love the title. That's my favorite. <laughs> we'll be on the show. Uh, Richard Brake from uh, he's Doomhead in 31, and he's the Night King in um, Game of Thrones, and he wow. is uh, in the new Three from Hell. So he'll be on the show. And kind of a spooky guy. He just kind of gives me the creeps. He is very creepy, I, I will admit. Maybe, maybe he's going to want you to play Warhammer with him later on. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> All right, then I'll make the scene. I'll make the trip down to uh, the hobby store in the Kingston Ball for that. <laughs> so it's going to be good times. But uh, now we're going to another good time. Gary Kent, he's got a ton of stories. He's been in the business for six decades. Actually, I think seven decades, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010, seven decades. Holy shit. Wow. Wow. From an actor to a stuntman, to stunt coordinator, he's written, he's directed, he's done special effects. He's worked in all kinds of fields of movies. It's crazy. There's a documentary about him out right now. Danger God. Uh, he has a book out, which is very cool, and uh, and he is the inspiration for the Brad Pitt character in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, specifically the Charles Manson connection, because Gary Kent did, did have an actual altercation with Charles Manson and the Manson family while working on Spawn Ranch in the 60s. So we'll hear the real Damn. story of what happened. That sounds awesome. It's going to be good times. All right. Well, uh, what what did we what did we come up with your name, Creepy Craig? Well, was, yeah, that's what they call me, Creepy Craig. Yeah, Creepy way back Craig. when when I used to work at a acclaim entertainment, call me Creepy okay. Craig. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you see, you could do that makeup for like Halloween. You could do like Uncle Creepy. Hmm. Oh, that'd be cool. That would be big. Uh, Uncle Creepy and cousin Eerie. Cousin, cousin Eerie, cousin Eerie, right? Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. I dig it. Dress, do the makeup on Neil as Cousin Eerie, and you'll have to do the Vampirella on me. <laughs> and can you wear that suit? Yeah, why not? Just, you know, give me the thong. Bring it on. <laughs> can I touch your bat? <laughs> it might be a little furrier than Vampirella should be, but, you know, what the hell? <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you again for for letting me be on the show. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's always good to have you. Thank you very, very much. And I appreciate it very, 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 very much. Thank you. Thank you. You always have the good good stories to bring. Yep. Thank you. Cool. Very good to talk to you. Next week, I hope you guys can make it to Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival. I will be there along with Jason Mitten, the Headless Critic, uh, all week. 
It'll be a good time. And here we're going to Gary Kent. And there may be uh, there's possibilities of an interview popping up uh, next week before I take off with oh. the creator, the man behind Terror TV. It's a new streaming site uh, for independent horror. He wants to come on and talk about it, and that's very exciting. So I'm going to try to get that recorded uh, before I take off next week. So possible, maybe around Monday or Tuesday, that will pop up on the website. But if not, this will be this definitely will be the last live show until September. Very good. We'll save travels, awesome. Nasty Neil and uh, yep. Jason. Say hello yes. to everybody out there for me, please. Definitely will. Definitely will. All right, here we go with uh, Gary Kent. You shall be here. Beastmaster Bubba Hotep, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by actor and writer, director, stuntman, stunt coordinator of over six decades. That's pretty awesome. Gary Kent. It's very cool to have you here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleased to be here. Yeah. You know, I mentioned uh, six decades. That's a long time to be in. Uh, in any business, really, the show business. How do you like? Um, how do you stay up with all the, the changes in uh, in movies? Because I assume over those you know, years, there's been many different, uh, you know, different changes. Good, good question. Uh, most of them have been for the better. Although I'm not a big CGI guy, so you can take that and throw it in the ocean, as far as I'm concerned. But. Um, Mainly, I've just always loved film. I've been fascinated by it, and I still am. 
I still like going to the set. I love the smell of the lights heating up. Just the whole, you know, the actors, their makeup, hanging around and then doing some good work. I still love it after all these years. Yeah. When you originally got into uh, being a stuntman, I would assume that's before there were like schools to study to be a stuntman or like, how do you even, how do you even like find a way to, to, to become that at, at the time? Man, I was just really lucky. I, um, I didn't know much about stunts. So I, but I saw a Frank Sinatra movie shooting on Gower Boulevard in Hollywood. And the AD said, okay, stuntmen stand by their cars. And I saw these guys look like gladiators went and stood by these automobiles and they said, okay, start your engines action. And the cars started plowing into each other and guys getting in fist fights on the street. And, and I thought, that's what I want to do because all the actors were out of work. Uh, most of them in the early sixties. And, uh, so I wanted to do stunts, but I didn't know how to do it, how to get into it. Uh, but I was having lunch with a friend of mine, long story short, he said he was going to Utah on two films produced by this young guy named Jack Nicholson, who was just getting started and they needed a stuntman. And I said, well, I'm a stuntman. I just lied my way into it. And uh, I got the job and they sent me up to Utah on these two films Jack was doing. And while I was there, the Daniel Boone TV company came up to Utah and they had four of the best stuntmen in the business on their shoot. And they wanted another one, but they didn't want to send back to Hollywood. So Jack said, I've got a great stuntman. He doesn't use pads. He doesn't dig up the ground. He just goes for it. That was because I was just stupid. Anyway, they said, okay, send him over. So I went over on the Daniel Boone Company, and they made me, uh, you know, the butt of a lot of jokes to start with. And then they started teaching me the name of the game. And by the time I got back to Hollywood, I knew a lot about stunts and I could call myself a stuntman. So that's how I got started. I just lucked into it. Yeah. Now, were you, were you in a lot of fights before that? And like, uh, were you like an active guy? Yes. Yes. I played ball. Most stuntmen did something. They were either gymnasts or ball players or long distance runners or something that, uh, that required a skill and coordination. Uh, so I had played ball, football, and track in school. And uh, and I was a horseback rider because I grew up on a ranch. So I knew a lot about horses. I could ride pretty well. So those things did me a good stead when I got started. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask about the horse riding. But uh, I would assume, especially at that time, when there was a lot of Westerns, that would be something that would be uh, very useful. Yeah. Unfortunately, by the time I got there and came into it, Westerns were kind of on their way out and biker films were on their way in, motorcycle films. And they sort of dominated the uh, the airwaves for, you know, five or six years at least, from the mid-60s to the late 60s, 69 or 70. There wasn't a biker film that lost money. Actually, they all did pretty well. So I did a lot of biker films. Uh, did you have any experience in riding motorcycles? No. 
I didn't at all. I wasn't a biker guy at all. And I had to go out and get a friend of mine, Jim Raymond, who was a good biker, to sort of show me the ropes. And even then, I wasn't great. I never was in love with the machine, although it's okay. But it wasn't my bag. Yeah. I know you've done a lot of uh, stunt driving in cars. Uh, are cars different? Was that something you were more comfortable with? Yes. I loved car chases. I love car work. It can be very dangerous, and, it, and it's a certain skill required to know how to handle a car. But luckily, I was able to do that, and I was always getting hired to do car chases. So I've done them in all the major cities except New York. I'd never done New York, and ever since French Connection, I wanted to do it, uh, yeah. car chasing. I finally got to do it on a Chinese picture that was shot at Guns of Dragon, shot in New York. So I finally got to do my New York car chase. Mm-hmm. But back, back, you know, um, back in the '60s, like how much uh, safety precautions were taken when you were doing stuff like uh, car chases? Um, in the low budget films, almost none. You had to figure it out yourself and then demand it because the directors didn't have a clue and they wanted things to happen that were just impossible to happen. Uh, so you had to wangle some safety precautions out of them. On the major studios, it was all taken care of by the stunt coordinator. And you got little toy cars before you ever did the chase. All the drivers would get together and work it out with toy cars. I'm going to slide here. I'm going to do a 180 there. I'm going to do a flip here. Then we'll do the big roll here. And you would just work on that for a week or so before you ever did the chase. And you would also have, if you were going to do a roll, you would have a roll cage installed inside the car, a steel roll cage that would pretty well protect you and a plank strap that you could strap yourself to the seat, to the undercarriage of the car, actually. So you, you, if you were going to do, you know, hard work with the car, you would rearrange it to fit your needs. Mm-hmm. I was, what I was going to say was like, uh, obviously you want to stay safe, but was, is there something fun about uh, some of the low budget ones where you just kind of have to come up with your own uh, plans for the car chases? Yeah. And, and you just said it you would get a chance to come up with your own stuff that you wanted to do. So it was kind of like uh, directing in a way because the directors really didn't know what you were going to do and they would let you work it out. So you got a chance even sometimes with camera to tell the camera where to be placed and what you were going to do and where is the best setup for them. So I loved doing it. There was a lot more creativity in the low budget films to because you didn't have any money you had to be really creative to work it out and the car chases the only trouble was they usually didn't want you to hire other stuntmen say they wanted you to do it with actors which is a very dangerous thing to do if you first of all they're not that good with cars and second of all if they get hurt there goes the picture so that was always a problem Mm-hmm. Now, um, I've interviewed a lot of uh, professional wrestlers who um, you were talking about taking bumps, like flat back bumps and stuff. So when you first start to get into uh, into the into uh, the stunt work, and you said like uh, they start to teach you like the ways that is that something they teach you like uh, how to fall where 
it's obviously still going to hurt, but it's not going to injure you. Yeah. Uh, even then, you know, it's a rough business stunts. Yeah. Every year someone gets hurt really bad or even dies. It's the only, the only skill on a movie where you can actually go to work and not come home that night, go right to the graveyard. So every year, one or two guys get our, our girls get really banged up or hurt badly. But we do everything we can to make it as safe as possible. Do you um, do you have a lot of injuries from over the years of doing the stunts? You know, I have a few. At my age, I don't know any stuntman that hasn't been banged up a bit. I had all my ribs broken on a film on my left side. And I had my leg broken and my ankle broken. And I think my wrist broken. I had my arms sliced open with broken glass on a film. So I've had a few injuries, but luckily nothing life-threatening. Mm-hmm. Is it also the like uh, the buildup of all these, uh, you know, falling all, all so much? Even if you didn't get like uh, a broken bone on on like a big fall, but just the culmination of all these things, the, do, does that add up over time? I got to tell you, my friend, you're exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I am so banged up, and I really feel it now. But I wouldn't change a thing. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, Jack Nicholson early in your career. So uh, when I watch your documentary, Danger of God, um, you know, you talked about Jack Nicholson, and, and he said he's a good guy. So what what was he like? Yeah, Jack was a jewel as far as I was concerned. He wasn't a huggy feely guy, but he was a friendly guy, and he would always say hello to the crew. He didn't have a big ego. Uh, he would visit with people on the set every now and then. Um, he was just a nice guy. And uh, politically, he was politically motivated. He was a, very much a liberal. So he would have uh, these little talk sessions all the time where he would indoctrinate you in his liberal leanings. He was just, uh, he was a nice guy. He would communicate with everybody. And he was extremely loyal to his friends. Um, with your history in the business, um, do you think that's kind of needed to, to have longevity, um, to, to be a, some, you know, be someone that people like to be around? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'll tell you a really quick story about Jack. My daughter-in-law, Maria was at Staples Center in Los Angeles visiting some school program and her car broke down out in the parking lot. And she was standing out there. All the other cars had left. And she was standing by her car wondering what the hell to do. And all of a sudden, Jack Nicholson came up. He was not, he had no idea who she was. He asked her what was the problem. And she told him, and he sent for his car people to come and fix her car. And then he said, good luck. And off he went. And I thought, what a nice guy. He he just yeah. did that out of the, you know. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So I, I mentioned yeah. Danger God, the uh, the documentary um, that's out about you or coming out about you. Uh, wh- when did they come to you with the idea? And were you always, uh, you know, on board w- with the idea of doing a documentary? I was not. They came to me many years ago, and I'm guessing maybe six or seven years at least ago, and said they were going to do it. And uh, did I, they have my permission. 
I thought it was a terrible idea. I thought, why me? But they said they were going to do it anyway. So I said I would cooperate, but I wouldn't participate. I wouldn't do, uh, I wouldn't interfere with what they were doing. They could do whatever they wanted to do. And, uh, and so that's kind of the way it was. And even up toward the last, I thought, gee, it's great that they're doing all this stunt stuff. We'll see all my stunt buddies and some of the best in the business are in that film. And Bud Cardos and Chuck Bale and the guys, Bob Ivey. Um, so that I enjoyed, but then they got to the personal part of it, uh, where I got my heart attack and my wife struggled with alcoholism and the bad stuff. And I thought, that's terrible. Gee, don't put that in. But they put it in anyway. They said, we've got to have it's part of your story. So they did it. And oddly enough, people seemed to like that part of it just as much. Uh, in fact, we had a screening at Cinema Wasteland. And uh, one of the guys came up to me afterwards and said, gee, there was a big biker sitting in front of me. And he was just crying like mad toward the last of the film. He loved it. And it really moved him. So I thought, oh, man, I guess I guess that's what I don't know about film. I thought it would be hated. Yeah. Is is that is that stuff hard for you to watch? You know, because obviously it's your life. Absolutely. It's hard. It brings back memories, but also it brings back a lot of pain that we all deal with. We all have things in our lives that are kind of tough to go through. So, yeah, I had some uh, some struggles. Overall, it's been a great life for me. But so many people I cared about and loved a lot had really tough times. My wife dying at the age of 54, which is much too young. All my sisters have passed away. Uh, so I'm like the oldest Kent in our direct line left. I guess it's an homage to my uh, cantankerousness. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're still here. And uh, how, how are you doing? Cause you know, at the end of the documentary, um, you know, you're going to have a, a second, I don't want to give away too much of the documentary, but you're having a second uh, heart surgery. And that's uh, how, how are you doing currently? You know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting ready to move from Tucson back to Austin. I tried Tucson uh, for a year, but it just didn't work. I'm not a desert person, to be honest with you. So, And there's nothing but desert here. So I'm on my way back to Austin, which I like a lot. And I'm in good shape. I feel for, for my age, hey, I'll take whatever I can get. Yeah. And I hear this. that I've always I've been to Texas a few times, but never to Austin. But... People tell me that's where the best barbecue is. Ah, you can't beat Austin for barbecue and music, great music. And uh, it's changing, though. It's becoming a really high-tech city where there's traffic around the clock, which is a bummer. But it used to be this laid-back kind of sleepy little burg. Not so anymore. It's a hustling, bustling metropolis. Mm-hmm. So, um... There's a lot of talk uh, when they're uh, when they're uh, promoting uh, Danger God about uh, that you were uh, the inspiration for the Brad Pitt Brad Pitt character in uh, Quentin Tarantino's movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, did anyone talk to you about uh, when they were when when Quentin was writing that movie? Uh, no, as a matter of fact, I just it surprised me that a lot of people said, "Hey, it's." 
fashion after you. Quentin wouldn't say for a long time who it was. And then he said it was this tough, tough guy he heard a lot about. Uh, and to me, the toughest guy was a stuntman called Judo Jean LaBelle. But no one mentioned him. However, they mentioned me and uh, Bud Cardos and Hal Needham and a couple other guys uh, that Quentin. I did have lunch with Quentin one day in Austin when I told him about Spawn Ranch and the adventures on the Spawn Ranch with all those girls hanging around singing songs and begging our lunches. So we did have that discussion. And I haven't seen the film yet. I'm anxious to see it and see how much of that he put into the film. So I don't know if it was any any anything to do with me or not. I, it's it's Quentin's movie, and who cares? <laughs> right. Yeah. There, there's definitely that scene in the movie. Um, uh, there's similarities because you know I heard you you talk about it on the documentary. Uh, it's definitely different, but there are similarities. So I assume it is you know uh, inspired by by your story. Well, good. Mm-hmm. Good. I hope so. so. Yeah, for people who don't know, uh, do you want to you want to talk about the Spawn Ranch uh, story? Well, this, yeah, for uh, Spawn Ranch was this sort of dilapidated ranch on the way to Simi Valley, uh, right off the highway. It had a western street with wooden sidewalks and an old saloon and and stuff, an old pharmacy, a couple of barns, and he it was owned by a guy named George Spawn who was blind. He was about 65, maybe 70. Um, And he had a bunch of horses he would rent out on the weekends to riders. And he had about 240 acres with no TV antennas and no light poles. So you could shoot westerns Westerns there with no problem. So, yeah, there would be, be, um, uh, you know, you could shoot there. You could shoot westerns or films that dealt with the 20s or 30s and uh with no problem and uh so we shot there a lot and there would be these kids that we just thought were hippies all these young girls hanging around they would come and beg our lunches from us and can we have a sandwich can we have your cupcakes you know that kind of thing and once in a while there'd be a guy primarily uh tex watson and once in a while charlie manson sort of on the periphery Try, the girls would try and lure you into coming to the little shacks they lived in. George Spahn let them live there in exchange for doing some housework. And, and there was a rumor that one of the girls, Squeaky From, was actually servicing him uh, sexually so that he let the band, he was more than happy to let them stay there. Um, but they were just a bunch of hippies as far as we could. We would had no idea. They had committed the murders. We didn't have a clue at the time. Although uh, during the course of our shooting there, I shot four films there, maybe five. And during the course of them, they had committed the murders. And so we were talking to murderers, but we didn't know it. Yeah, that's crazy. So when you were actually filming, like, would they be around, like, watching? Absolutely. They would come. There were a bunch of big old rocks that were around the main street, the main Western street. And they would come and perch on those rocks. They looked like these strange birds and they would perch there and watch the shooting. Once in a while, one of the films would hire some of them as extras. I think we did a couple times. 
I knew uh, Patricia Krenwinkel and a couple others. I didn't know them well, but I knew them by name because they introduced themselves. Uh, so yeah, they would they would be around all the time. There were a lot of them, as a matter of fact. It seemed like there would be you know fifteen or twenty of them every day. Oh, so uh, I know you had a little bit of interaction with uh, Charlie Charles Manson. Uh, did you get yeah. any vibe from him? Did you get any weird vibe from him? You know, all I I hired him to fix uh, a dune buggy we were using as a camera car. And I had kind of a run in with him because he wanted money up front, which we gave him. And I came back the next day and it wasn't fixed. So I said, Charlie, you better fix that or you're going to get a new asshole. And he fixed it right away. Uh, but he was just like a little shoplifter. He didn't have these big hypnotic eyes. He didn't, you know, you wouldn't have followed him across the street. He was just, he looked like he needed a bath and some good food and to be sent to bed. That was about it. He didn't, he didn't seem threatening or spellbinding at all. Yeah. Interesting. That, that, that scene is in the movie. It's changed a little bit and it's not Char. It's not Charlie. It's a, it's another uh, member of the, the group, but they do have uh, uh, Brad Pitt's character makes a guy change his tire. Ah, uh, well, it's that's like, kind of similar. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, when I when I heard you talk about, it, I was like, "Oh, it's similar, but it is it is changed a little bit." Right. Well, interesting. So, so when you when you do hear about the murders, obviously it's you know huge. Um, what goes through your mind? Because it's like you know, wow, uh, you know, I was around these people. Oh yeah, it was a big shock. We thought, well, because much of Hollywood, especially the actors, were. Uh, on pins and needles until they found out who had actually done the killings. The stuntmen, not so much, because we figured we could take care of ourselves no matter who it was. But still, we didn't have a clue. And when it turned out to be those hippies on the Spawn Ranch, we were just shocked that that's who did it. So, yeah, it was. A, we were relieved, of course, as was much of Hollywood. But at the same time, we were really astounded that it was those little people living on the ranch who we never considered a threat of any kind. Yeah. How does that uh, change just the time itself? Like uh, uh, the, how people view hippies and the uh, kind of like this, it seemed like a great time. And then, you know, this horrible thing happens. Does that, does that change like uh, the whole vibe of, of that period? Yes, very much so. Um, what's there's some um, yeah, it changed very much so. Uh, before all of that happened, being being a hippie and the love generation kind of had a sparkle to it, and a lot of people were excited by it and and thought, well, that's the new way of thinking, love and peace and love your brother. But uh, gradually, uh, Altamont changed some of that. And certainly the Charlie Manson things changed it. So by the end of the 60s, that great feeling we all had that was growing before it came to a screeching halt. And then being hippie became kind of a joke in a way and yeah. a put down. Whereas actually it was really very promising at the time. Mm -hmm. now, how, how involved were you in like uh, 
in things at that time. Because I know in the documentary you talk about uh, taking acid for the first time uh, for a movie. Right. So, like, um, you know, how involved were you in, like, the, the drug scene or, or free love at the time? Well, like like most people at the time, I got into smoking pot uh, pretty heavy. Uh, I tried to I tried acid, but it wasn't for me, and I never tried the harder stuff. I could care less about, you know, uh, heroin or any of the other hard drugs, crank or crack or whatever. I never got into that, and I didn't want into it. But I did get into pot. Uh, all my friends, everybody I knew except a couple people smoked it. And it was kind of a thing. You'd go to a party and everybody would be drinking except for the people in the bathroom with the closed doors. And there'd be this little smell coming out under the door. And let you know they were in there smoking ganja. <laughs> I'd be one of them. <laughs> Very good. Uh, how about now? Because, uh, you know, a lot of people say it helps with, with pain. Is it something you ever do? Yes, uh, it's legal here in Arizona, and I have uh, medical marijuana, and I have a card. I don't uh, smoke it as much as I used to. I don't have time, and uh, it's not as much as relaxing as it used to be. Uh, maybe it's just me because I'm feeling the crunch of time in my life, but I still smoke it every now and then, and it and it does help me just forget my problems and bring back some of the good old days a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm pro marijuana, uh, with restrictions, uh, but I don't use it as much as I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's legal here in Massachusetts too. And, uh, I, uh, I've actually never smoked it, but I do have used the uh, edibles a little bit and, uh, and uh, actually use more CBD oil, which it does help. I've had some, uh, uh, physical problems the last couple of years, uh, surgery moved part right. of my, uh, colon and stuff and it does uh help a lot with pain oh it and does i, really do I wondered about that yeah i wondered about that cbd oil how that was how does that work yeah you really just take a little drop and uh, my mom who's had a uh, you know a bad back for probably almost 10 years and she used to take all kinds of uh, pain pills and i uh, i offer some of the cbd oil you can buy it anywhere and um, right. knocking wood since she's been taking that. It's only been about a month, but uh, she doesn't. She hasn't taken any pain pills. She said it helps better than any pain pills she's ever taken. Wow, that's great. Yeah, and it doesn't make you I've... feel high or anything either. It doesn't. Wow. If, if anything, it makes you feel more alert. I think. Ah, huh? And it and it gets rid of the pain or it eases it, huh? Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm going to try that. People have recommended it, and I just haven't done it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. So, uh, something Good. else I want to talk about before we get off of uh, Once Upon a Time on Hollywood is uh, there's also a scene with the Brad Pitt character and Bruce Lee. And uh, I know you worked on uh, – did you ever work with Bruce Lee? I did, yes. I did a couple of Green Hornets, and Bruce came in and worked on them. Uh, I didn't know well uh, – he was uh, – uh -huh. He had an ego, uh, but I don't know many stars that didn't to some degree. Uh, he had, to me, an over... Well, he was very good at martial arts. That was his bag. He wasn't good at other stunts like driving and uh, high falls and that kind of thing. Bruce just didn't do. The, the great Oriental stuntman was Jackie Chan. 
He was really a stuntman. But Bruce was a martial artist, and that's that's where he came off. But he would be, you know, kind of like Jack, not really huggy feely, but professional and uh, and okay. Yeah, he never had a fight with him. Uh, the Brad Pitt character has a fight with him. <laughs> no, I never did have a fight with Bruce. Yeah, but he is he is uh, portrayed with an ego in the movie, so maybe that was something uh, people. Oh, up. oh, well, yeah, he had one, no doubt about it. Yeah. So uh, earlier you mentioned that you know you just love movies. So um, were there a particular kind of movies that you love, like a uh, different genre, like because you're in horror movies or in action movies, and uh, is there one genre that you really like? Well, you know, growing up, I loved action movies. Anything with Burt Lancaster, I just absolutely loved. And then I was doing stock theater in Texas, and the theater broke up, and all the actors went to New York. But I had just seen On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando, and I thought it just knocked me out. I thought it was great. And I took a Greyhound to Hollywood. I thought, that's the kind of movie I want to do, those hardcore, really tough stories, dramas. So... Action and really good dramas are my bag. I'm not much a sci-fi guy at all. Would you say Marlon Brando, especially uh, that movie in particular, that kind of changed how people acted? Yes, a lot. Uh, Before then, it was, you know, movie stars, and a lot of them couldn't act for beans, but they were movie stars. It's a different thing than being an actor. It's being a star, which just is a whole different bag. But Brando brought this uh, realism to the screen that became the thing. And a lot of people sort of changed their before then. It was almost like stage actors acting on screen. And that changed where movie acting became a, a whole different bag. And all of the histrionics sort of slimmed down. And things became more real with Brando. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. huge when he first came in. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that's kind of lost us to some. Uh, I mean, I I just know I wasn't around at that time, but I like I, I know of that. But I think that's kind of lost uh, to some younger people how big Marlon Brando was. Right, right. He was just he was the actor for years. Yeah, and how influential he was. Yeah, and how influential he was in acting because, you know, that really changed uh, exactly how you said. You know, it was uh, a, a totally different kind of acting what we see today. Right. Well, Brando had been in New York. He'd been in a lot of drama groups, and in L.A., which is not a theater town, uh, with with Brando coming in, a lot of groups started forming in L.A. So you had actors. Uh, for the first time in their life, joining a group where you'd get together maybe two or three times a week and act out scenes and work on different projects together. And Brando kind of fostered that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how many movies did you do with Jack Nicholson? I think they said six in the documentary. I think I did four or five. Okay. Uh, not six. I'm sure it wasn't six, but I think right. four or five I did with Jack. Yeah. When you do like multiple movies with with someone like that, do you uh, you know do you form like a relationship? Do you become friends? Absolutely. 
Jack and I were good friends. He's very loyal to his friends, and he was good to me in many ways. I really enjoyed Jack. We didn't hang together a lot, but we would run. You know, the stunt guy is supposed to be the protector of the actor you're, you're doubling. Jack didn't really need protection, but I was there if he needed me. And, uh, and also, I agreed with him politically, so we would hang out. There was a great bar restaurant in Hollywood sort of hidden away called the rain check room and all the actors, it was just an actor's hangout primarily. And you would go there and there would always be someone in the bar pontificating on theater or the arts or movies or politics. And Jack would be one of those in there always, uh, you know, talking about liberal causes and getting rid of gun guns and all sorts of things back then. Mm-hmm. It's very topical even today. Yeah, very much so. So did you yeah, have any... What, what? You go on, sorry. Uh, excuse me. When we were up in Utah in those two Westerns, we had uh, Jack and Warren Oates, and they would argue all the time. Whenever there was a break, you'd hear them arguing over guns. Jack was for getting rid of all of them and Warren was just the other way around. He was a good old boy, and he didn't believe in any kind of gun control at all. Yeah. It, did, did you have anybody that was uh, the opposite of that, that, like, you were a stunt double and, like, uh, uh, they didn't treat you very well? Golly, uh, it didn't treat me very well. The only fellow I worked with, I didn't actually double him that I can remember, but I worked a film with him that I didn't care for was Bruce Willis. I thought he was a little ego driven particularly. And he wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't say hello to the crew or he didn't thank them at the end of the day. I remember working a film once with Gregory Peck, who was just great. He would show up in the morning all by himself, no entourage. He'd have a script under his arm. He stepping over cables and stuff. You've been on a set, you know how, how it, it's taken up with all kinds of equipment and wires. And Gregory would work his way through. He would greet everybody, say a morning, good morning to everybody. At the end of the day, he would thank everybody for helping him. Bruce Willis never did any of that. He always had a little entourage following him around. He would have to have a, a golf cart taking him from the trailer to the set. Even if it was like a hundred feet, he wouldn't walk it. He would, Right in this golf cart surrounded by people. So I'm not a big Bruce Willis fan, although he didn't actually do anything to me that I can object to. But but I just didn't like the way he uh, his ego. Not many people like that. But Bruce is one to me. Yeah, maybe it's just me. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, Judo Gene LaBelle, who uh, I know the name from uh, professional wrestling. And he also uh, was the mentor of uh, one of my friends, Bob Elmore, who's uh, a stuntman. So uh, uh-huh. what, what was he like, uh, Gene LaBelle? One of, the, one of the nicest guys in the world and one of the funniest. He would always say, well, I may not be the toughest guy in the world, but I am the handsomest. And of course, <laughs> he was not, he was not that gorgeous, to put it mildly. But he was just a great guy, and you would never know how bloody tough he was. He didn't have a huge ego at all. 
But boy, was he a tough guy. I'll tell you, he could handle anything. Do you think a lot of stuntmen don't have an ego since um, they're not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, getting the glory? Yeah, it's not, except when it comes to their stunts. There, there is sort of this unwritten uh, rule that if you could do stunts, you were proud of it and you husbanded it and you took care of it and you didn't want anyone messing with it. By that, I mean your reputation as a stuntman or stuntwoman. Uh, if you knew what you were doing, you were very proud of that. But to have a big ego, not many. No, not that I know of. Uh, when you started to get more like roles as an actor, uh, which did you prefer? Did you uh, prefer doing the stunts or, or the acting or, or are they the same to you? Boy, that's a good question. Uh, more or less the same. I love doing stunts. It just, um, for some reason, I got to the top very quickly in the stunt business and I was coordinating stunts, which I really enjoyed and I enjoyed the stunt community. And I'm very proud of some of the stunts I've done. Uh, it's a very tricky, hairy business, but I also loved acting and, uh, gee, it would be hard for me to choose between the two, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, in the documentary, talk about a uh, Satan sadist, and that was like the first time you get to play the play the lead. So, uh, how important was that movie to you? Or how much? You know, how memorable was it for you? You know, it's very memorable. Now, when I did it, I thought this is never going to get distributed. It's too raunchy, too rank. Uh, so I was surprised when it became a major drive-in movie hit, and it sort of. Uh, started Independent International, which was Al Adamson, who was the director, and Sam Sherman, who produced it. It started their company. It made so much money off that film. And now I kind of like it. I kind of uh, am glad I did it. At the time, I thought, gee, this is this is too raunchy to make any. Uh, it was being advertised as the most degenerate movie of the decade. And I thought, yeah. oh, wow, that's not... That's not something to be proud of. <laughs> right. Uh, well, what did you like uh, your family and your friends think at that time? If, if when you're in a movie like that, it's considered like the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, this horrible movie, uh, Satan Satus. Oh, my friends loved it. My family, not so much. They, they kind of tried to ignore it when it came to talking about what I'd done. Uh, but my friends loved it. They thought it was, Motorcycle movies were heavy duty at the time. And here was one. Usually the bikers in the biker films were played as raunchy, but good guys. They were against the police and stuff, but the police were always wrong. Satan Sadist, it was the other way around. The bikers were terrible. And the uh, good guy was the part I played was a Marine. And they, uh, a lot of people responded to that. They were tired of the of the beer swelling, you know, dope smoking yeah. bikers. Mm -hmm. uh, it definitely seems like uh, when you're talking about all these, all the directors of that, uh, of that time, like Ray Steckler, like they all seem like a uh, very much like characters. Would you say that yeah. was like uh, most somewhere? Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially Al Adamson and Ray Steckler were two of the biggest characters. Uh, Ray would always shoot, he would have like 20 cents and he'd be shooting a movie 
Uh, there was never a script that I remember on his films. He would always just say, walk in here and say something, say, say, blah, blah, blah. And then he would give you a line or a suggestion, but no sides, no paper to look at, to memorize lines. Uh, and Al Adamson was the other way around, but he was just a character himself. He always had this dog that he loved called Stoopy. So when he was directing, he always had this little dog in his arm. The only director, a lot of directors have pets, but that they bring to the set, but they don't walk around with them in their arms. So when Al was directing you in a scene, there'd always be this little dog yipping at you while you, uh, while you did the rehearsal. Yeah. Is that fun to do a movie where you don't, where you don't have like a, a script? Yeah. In a very different way. I prefer the script and, yeah. uh, and good directors like Richard Rush, who was my favorite director who one of my favorites, who you would always have a lot of lead time to work things out ahead of time, maybe a month before the movie started, you would get together and go everything and have line readings and so on and so forth before you ever shot. With Al, it wasn't that way at all. There was never any rehearsal time. You just showed up and, uh, and you would get the sides maybe a day or two, maybe the night before you shot the next day. So it was kind of fun in its way. It was a challenge, but I prefer to have a script and know what I'm doing. Yeah. So when you started to write and direct your your own movie, um, was it? Did you kind of learn while while you're making these other movies uh, from directors you work with? Yes, I had I had been uh, stunt coordinating. So a lot of the time, like especially on Richard Brush movies you would get to design everything yourself for the stunt sequence. So I would get used to camera angles and a little bit about close up and medium shot and long shot, and how to cover a scene just from doing stunt sequences. And I had done a lot of acting before I got into stunts. So I knew how actors worked and what they wanted to hear. Uh, one of my lead actors was a really good actress named Lelia Goldoni. And she said, having Gary direct is being directed by another actor. And I thought that's a real compliment because I knew what actors needed and what they were going through. Mm -hmm. Mainly you want to encourage them to be, to be uh, creative on their own. And you want to create a safe environment for them to do that. And if they're, you want to just give them help with with getting to where they want to go with the character. And so it's it's kind of a, a bond between actor and director. Is that something you enjoy doing, uh, writing and directing? Yes. Um, not anymore, of course, but at the time I did a lot. I just wanted to do my, my bag, and I got to do it on a couple of films. I was very, very lucky. Yeah. Yeah, I also saw you did some special effects uh, in some movies. Like, how did that come about? How did you, you know, you're acting and you're you're doing stunts. How did it come about? You started doing some special effects. Well, I had when we were on in Utah on those two Jack Nicholson westerns, a special effects guy showed up called Harry Wallman to do the special effects. He had to do a lot of bullet hits and set a shack on fire and do that kind of thing. And needed help. So there I was working the film as a stuntman. So he asked me if I would help him with his effects, which I did. So by the time I got back to L.A., 
I kind of knew a little bit about special effects. And then Richard Rush was doing a movie called Man Called Dagger. And I went in on the interview and they were looking for a stunt man and someone who could do special effects. And I just lied about special effects. I'd only done a few, uh, but the film was an effects film. It had all kinds of effects in it, firework and all kinds of stuff, car crashes and things that require thinking out what you were doing. And the minute I got the job, I called up an effects guy I knew. I forget his name now. Uh, Hampton was his last name. But I went to his place for two days, and he gave me a crash course in how to do special effects. And then I kind of learned on the job. Uh, since that was such an effects shoot, by the time I finished it, again, I pretty well knew how to do most effects. Yeah. So, you know, in the documentary show, you at uh, a lot of conventions. Um, when did people start, uh, you know, asking you to go to conventions? And when did you realize that people like, uh, you know, respected and knew you from doing stunts? Golly, that was some time ago, at least over 10 years. Um, it started with Ken. Actually, before then, Bud Cardo's and I were flown to Utah. They were having an Al Adamson. Uh, honorarium and they flew Bud and I in to be special guests. We had no idea what, what it was all about, but it turned out to be a big Al Adamson convention with all kinds of people showing up wanting pictures. Of course, we didn't have any, we didn't have anything. We just went. And, uh, then I kind of realized, gee, there are a lot of fans out there. Then the next thing was I got a call from Ken Kish with Cinema Wasteland which was my first big entree into the uh, convention uh, kind of thing. And that was my, my uh, break into it. And I was just shocked that there were so many, many fans. And it was wonderful meeting them and meeting. I become friends with some of the, some of the fans that showed up and we communicate to this day. That's very cool. I noticed, you know, you've done some uh, independent uh, horror movies in the last few years. Did some of those directors like meet you at the conventions and, you know, uh, ask to work with you? Uh, yeah, it's oddly enough. I enjoyed doing those horror films mm -hmm. and I had no idea that they were as popular as they were. So you're right at the conventions. A lot of people showed up that were fans of those films. Are there'd be actors on the, on the panel that I had worked with or that wanted to work with me on, on film. So, to answer your question, yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I know uh, you did. Uh, you worked on Bubba Hotep, which I really, really enjoy. I think it's it's a great movie. Uh, was was that fun to work on? Yes, it was. It was kind of a rough shoot because it was all night shooting, and that's always a big adjustment because you can't sleep during the day uh, very much, and you have to work all night. Uh, and night shooting has its own set of problems. Uh, so we had all those, but it was great. The people were great. Ossie Davis was great. I really, really liked him. I think it was one of his last movies. And my buddy, Bob Ivey, played the mummy in it. Bob is a really close friend of mine. And I was really happy to help him with it. It was a leading role, one of his first, first big roles. And I was really happy that he was doing it. I was happy for Bob. And yeah. Don Coscarelli was a nice guy. He would always get very enthusiastic over 
over the effects and stunts and stuff. There weren't many stunts, but what there were, he would get all all interested in and and enthused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I love Don Coscarelli movies, and I've had him on the show. He is like a super nice guy, and uh, he seems uh, very youthful because he seems, like you said, he's uh, he really loves uh, movie making, and I think that keeps him right. uh, useful. Do, do you um do you miss uh, doing the actual stunts? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I'm, I'm happy with what I did and I can put it to bed and at least be proud that I didn't really hurt anybody or, uh, or I didn't die. I'm glad of that. Uh, but, but I'm, you know, the thing today is I've worked some low budget films for friends of mine in Texas and they would have stunts. And I would say to the actors, how many of you done stunts? And they would all raise their hands. They'd all done stunts, but they hadn't done stunts. Stunts is rolling cars and doing high falls and major fights and things that really require skill. And they had maybe done a face slap or something like that and called it a stunt. So, and the producers, of course, wanted you to use the actors because they didn't want to pay for stuntmen. I turned a really good uh, gig down in San Diego last year because they wanted me to coordinate the stunts but they wouldn't let me bring in any stuntman. They wanted to do it with actors and I refused to do it because I knew the actors were going to hurt themselves. So I just, no matter what I did, you just can't, can't do it on the set. Teach someone how really to do, you can help a little bit, but how to do a car roll, forget it. It ain't going to happen. Did you ever do any uh, man on fire scenes where, you know, you get like lit on fire? Uh, yeah. I did on a couple of uh, fireworks, and I've done a lot of them. I set Bob Ivy on fire on Bubba Hotep. Uh, mm-hmm. Firework in a fire suit can be, uh, you know, you use a gel that is kind of gives a slow burn. You can almost hold it in your hand and light it, and it won't get hot right away. So you gel yourself up in the fire suit so it burns like mad. You also use rubber cement which does get hot, but it burns. It gives a great burn. So you coat yourself down. Once you get in the suit, you coat yourself with rubber cement and uh, the gel. I forget the name of it now, but you're good for maybe two or three minutes in that suit. And then you got to get put out right away because it's hard to breathe. You don't want to breathe in fire when you're uh, in that suit. Mm-hmm. Well, were there any stunts that you, uh, that you were afraid to do? Or, or can you not be afraid uh, to be able to do these things? No, if you're afraid, you better not do it. I have uh, turned down a stunt uh, for other people where I was the uh, coordinator and the director wanted something I knew would hurt the stunt person. So I would turn it down and then try and find something that worked even better for them, than, but, but would be a lot safer. But I just didn't want to hurt anybody, and I luckily I never did. Right? Yeah. Did that happen often? Where, where if and the director would come up with some idea that just you know wasn't feasible to do would be too dangerous. Yeah. Yes. And uh, stunt people have to have the experience and the know-how to tell the director no, because a lot of the stunt guys just getting started. The young guys, they've gone to the gym and they've done a few things in the gym so they get on the set and they want to please the director a lot 
So they'll volunteer to do things that really aren't that safe. And as I said, every year, a couple of stunt people get killed or hurt severely from doing things they probably shouldn't do or they didn't uh, check out enough before they did it. And even then, accidents will happen. Uh, and you also have a, a book up that you did uh, a while ago. Yes. Yes. Shadows and Light, Journeys with Outlaws in Revolutionary Hollywood. I've had a lot of success with that book. In fact, it's in its third printing now. And those that have read it for 90% of the reviews have been great. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to reading it. Uh, after I saw it in the, in the documentary, uh, I would like to check it out. You're a great storyteller. For sure. You've been around for a while, you know, a lot of stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I, I'm sure I will. And um, uh, if people want to contact you uh, to either, uh, you know, have you at a convention or if they wanted to see if you'd be up for work on their movie, what's the best way to contact you? Probably through my email, which would be GaryNet, G-A-R-Y. N, as in Nancy, E-T, GaryNet1, the numeral one, at AOL.com. That'll get me. Very good. Well, I really appreciate coming on. I've had a, It was really great talking with you. Likewise. I really enjoyed it. This has been painless. A lot of fun. <laughs> very good. That's always good to hear. It's bad when they tell uh, me it's been a lot. Of, it's been very painful talking to me. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm bad. I would imagine. <laughs> Very good. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. And uh, I hope people check out the uh, the documentary Danger God and go get the book. I see it's on Amazon right now. It's only a thirteen ninety eight, so you can't pass that up. No, no, for sure. Yeah. Well, okay. I enjoyed it, and I thank you so much for doing the interview. Thank you, and uh, you take care. You too. Bye now. Bye. Ah!